that you've ever seen, which I had the pleasure of calling the worst fight in, in history. Yes. And it's documented with over uh, 2.3 million views on uh, YouTube. Isn't that amazing? The time. Wake up with Defoe, joined by Luby. Welcome to the Defoe Show. And a very special good Monday morning, everybody. I'm Jeff DeForest, along with one Mike Luby. Lubitz, another week begins on the Depot Show here on Ion Channel. Fantastic platform uh, Jack Namers put together for us. So lovely Amy, all the good people there. Still backing us after all these months. And uh, we head into uh, what I think is going to be just a great period of time for the show. Uh, certainly is a great period of time to be here in South Florida, where we originate from, uh, where the weather today is supposed to be Chamber of Commerce-esque. <laughs> yeah. okay, 82 degrees, I nice. think, is going to be the high with uh, very little humidity. If it's not the heat, it's the humidity. That was always the thing, the cliche that applied to, uh, speaking of cliches, to the weather here and what it's like. Now, I was leaving a restaurant last night. Frank Tellerico's great place had uh, dinner with the Mustang nice. at uh, Casa Calabria there on the uh, Galt Ocean Mile. Fantastic Italian restaurant. Very rare, too, that you would have a hotel, which Frankie owns. So I guess that's the beauty of it. Frankie owns the hotel, and he owns the tiki bar outside where Luby and I spent many, many an evening. Uh, doing radio shows and uh, just uh, absolutely uh, engaging in all acts of debauchery, including, I mean, that time you were in that, what was that? Was that a, a station wagon? Who has a station wagon <laughs> It was anymore? just a car. It wasn't a station wagon. <laughs> Where you literally, I mean, I, I hate to say it like this because it sounds demeaning to women. You were pounding, pounding that chick that you had just met. <laughs> wow. I mean, those were the days, man. Never mind your uh, staid Married life there with a lovely Shirley. I'm glad you're in love, Luby. But uh, geez, uh, you impressed me far more when you picked up I'm that sure. girl on a beach. And then I go out to get my car, and I see this station wagon like shaking back and forth. And it could have been Tiger Woods with that Perkins waitress. It was incredible. Oh my God! You were free at the time. I mean, uh, there were no obligations to any women. There were no commitments. I uh, so single. I mean, uh, it was just a free for all out there. It, it literally was, was WrestleMania too. <laughs> And the windows were all fogged up, and I it look inside. It, it looked like that scene in the Titanic when the two oh, uh, people are getting it on. DiCaprio and uh, Kate Winslet are getting yeah. it on in that old antique, uh, what would be an antique automobile. Of course, it was a modern vehicle at the time. Yeah. And, and uh, all the people are trying to find them, right? And then they finally see this steamed-up uh, window, and uh, they, they think they're inside, but they'd already given them the slip, which was great. But, uh, yeah, so I, I'm coming out uh, last night from the restaurant, nice. and a guy says to me, well, you better enjoy this now, because this will be the last of it. Now, listen, you snowbird. We live here. Get the bleep out of here. <laughs> Just go back to wherever it was you came from. I'm no. loving this, all right? And it uh, looks you know. like we have more of the same today, while the rest of the country is imperiled with all kinds of bizarre weather. But uh, anyway, good to be with you. Peel yourself off the mat Monday. There are a lot of debates about what is the best time of the year in sports, Luby. And I don't know where you weigh in. I mean, and it uh, comes and centers around this argument. I don't know if it's an argument, but discussion centers around uh, two different periods of time. Right. And uh, that would be the fall, like October, November mm -hmm. and the spring. It's almost uh, in conjunction with, uh, you know, the uh, uh, time change. Right. Daylight savings. Yeah, because uh, in, in the spring, you have all of these different things happening, right? You have the NBA playoffs about to tip off tomorrow night with uh, the first couple of play in games. And I wasn't sure until just like this morning that I really understood. Once again, I had to refresh my memory as to how that whole play in thing works, because I'm seeing seven versus eight. And I'm thinking if, if you're the seventh or eighth seed in there, you should automatically be in. No. Yeah, you would think. But uh, no, not the case in the NBA. 
as uh, you have seven has to play eight. The seventh seed plays the eight seed. So in this case, it's going to be uh, the Brooklyn Nets uh, will be going against the, the Cavaliers. The Cavs. All right. So the Cavs have been slumping. The Nets look like uh, they're a definitive and a genuine threat, maybe. How could they be definitive and genuine if I have to throw in a maybe? What do you think? <laughs> there can't be. Is it maybe or is it definitive? Which maybe, is it, kid? I would say maybe a threat is what I would say. Because you never know. Well, it looms as a possibility because uh, obviously Kevin Durant is very much on his game. He's been having some terrific games. And Kyrie Irving has been a little bit up and down in the last couple of games that the Nets have played. But uh, the Nets played well enough to uh, pick up that number seven spot. Uh, There was some speculation that before Irving was able to play the home games that they might even slip out of the entire thing. Uh, With Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant on the floor at the same time, you know that's going to make opportunities for the other players to rise to the occasion. and. Some of them actually have been taking advantage of that of late. And uh, so they loom as, uh, I think, can I say a genuine threat? Yes. As, as a low-level seed in the NBA, they, they, they would loom as one of the bigger threats that you see uh, of teams that are coming out of that category. Uh, now, uh, they have to play against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Cavs have been kind of slumping. Whoever wins that game is going to then uh, have a, an automatic bid into the playoffs. Yeah. So it's a one game. You're in there as a seventh seed. Now, Luby's hoping the Nets win that game yeah. so they don't play his beloved Miami Heat. I mean, I'm not scared. Locked up the number one seed, yeah. I'm not scared that you're going to have to play no. tough competition regardless, but it's always nice to get an easy series under your belt, if possible, as a number one seed. Like, that's why you earn the number one seed is to – Try and have the easiest nice, easy path. five gamer, right? You're up three zero. You lose the fourth game uh, on the other team's court. It'd be yeah. nice. <laughs> no big deal, right? Everybody's out partying or gambling, uh, <laughs> doing all kinds of crazy stuff, drinking. Exactly. Spolster says, "Well, you know what? That's contrary to the Heat culture." Yeah. And they all have a team meeting. UD punches out uh, Jimmy <laughs> Butler, and they fun. come back and annihilate the team in game number five. Nice, easy series. Couple of days off before you take on what figures to be a more realistic challenge. Unless it is the Nets. I, I would imagine uh, the Heat would feel pretty comfortable playing the Cavs. Yep. Uh, the other uh, playing uh, involves Atlanta and Charlotte. So uh, Charlotte, I you know they had their moments this year, but uh, don't seem to be an overwhelming threat at this stage of the season, do they? I mean, uh, they do have LaMelo Ball and uh, some other good players on the team, but uh, I'm not sure they're ready to tangle with the Miami Heat, who played excellent basketball all year long and were particularly sharp down the stretch with the exception of yesterday's game, which they didn't care about as they uh, got annihilated by the Orlando Magic, one of the worst teams. Oladipo played basketball history. Oladipo had 40, and Oladipo almost had a triple-double with 40 points. That's what was weird about that game. Like he played yeah. out of well, his I mean, but what does lost. it mean? I mean, all the Nothing. depot may not sniff the court not during the postseason. That's very possible, <laughs> also, because it was kind of their uh, desire to insert all the depot back into the lineup that uh, it was sort of uh, messed, messed with, with the chemistry there. It was like putting a little sulfur into the test tube there and shaking it up and going, yep. uh, "Is it okay to use this?" <laughs> right? And you don't cap the thing, and all of a sudden you would have thought uh, like a, a zillion skunks. Just decided to raise their tails in the chemistry lab there. And, and the professor would always get mad, right? Because, uh, okay, who used the sulfur? <laughs> it was always me. I was going to say he's got to be. I don't know why I like making sulfur bombs in uh, chemistry class. I, I wasn't really very good at any other aspect of uh, that particular discipline. Not good at science at all. Science right? and math. Uh, that was not my bag. Science, forget about it. Uh, you know, my mother was always telling me, you should have been a doctor. Why? It's like, no, that's the last thing I should have been. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Dr. J, maybe, if I uh, could jump a little bit and happen to be a foot taller, that, that would have been great. But uh, unfortunately, 
that was not the case. But uh, nonetheless, uh, you know, the plan comes. Uh, the Heat seem to be in a very comfortable position. The rest of the East wide open. They have a couple of uh, great matchups in the first round. As uh, you have, uh, what, you have the Sixers going against the Raptors, Oof. who uh, might prove to be a tough out. And then you have that added uh, little element there where non-vaccinated players, and I guess the Sixers have one key player that isn't vaccinated. It's not Embiid. And it's not Harden, believe it or not. But uh, nonetheless, uh, they can't travel to Canada to play. So uh, that, that'll be a little bit of a compromise for them. But uh, 76ers playing some good basketball, huh? Joel Embiid, uh, should he not be the MVP? People are talking about uh, Jokic. Jokic uh, and um, Jokic. And Jokic at the same time, uh, you could make a case for uh, the Greek. Uh, yeah, could easily yeah. be the MVP. Yeah, you yeah. could have made a case for LeBron James, believe it or not, although he didn't play yeah, a lot of games this yeah. year. Uh, he sat out quite a few games. But uh, nonetheless, I, I, I think that uh, I, I would probably give the vote to Joel Embiid. He, he really uh, carried the load for the Sixers during two different periods of time. First, when they were dealing with the sulking and non-playing Ben Simmons. And then later on uh, with uh, blending in with James Harden. And he led the league in scoring, Luby, in addition to being just uh, an overwhelming threat when he's on the court. Is he not? Joel Embiid, do you really want to see the Heat take on the 76ers, Embiid and Harden? I don't know. But uh, the Raptors are, are their first-round matchup, a three versus six, uh, fairly significant there. And, of course, you have to consider the Celtics were, uh, if not the, among the hottest teams in basketball uh, from about a third of the season on, as uh, they, they really rallied to uh, end up in a fairly strong position going into the playoffs. So very interesting. It all gets underway uh, tomorrow. Of course, you have the play-in game in the Western Conference as well. And uh, many people feel uh, like I do that, I, I don't know, I mean, I almost have a Mike Mayo attitude towards the Phoenix Suns, which is uh, let me see him do it in the postseason again. Yeah, I was going to say they got to the that. finals and, yeah. you know, and they were up 2-0. So you would think that's the kind of learning experience you have uh, to get to the top in the NBA. And then also the Western Conference is falling off a cliff. The Lakers don't exist. The Clippers don't exist. The Nuggets are Jokic, Jokic, whatever you call them, and nobody else. So it's like the Western Conference is sort of the Warriors, to your point, and you kept hammering at home, have been a disaster the last, I mean, two months. Well, they haven't had Steph Curry. Well, that's the thing. But so now you're going to introduce them into the playoffs. Like, I mean, the, like no one really has been consistent outside of the Suns. So they may have a cakewalk where they can build all this team in the world. Suns have been good. You know, no doubt about it. I mean, like, they, you still have to do it in the postseason, obviously. But uh, they would seem to be an overwhelming favorite to uh, get through the West and, and take on whoever emerges out of the East, which Luby is hoping is the Miami Heat. But uh, gets back to the essential question of the day, which is the best time? I, I don't know that you can really ascribe uh, a one and, and two to it because uh, you had baseball getting started over the weekend, including, and I happen to tune in, I'm glad we're not involved in this over-under with the uh, Miami Marlins this year. And, and we really applaud the people from Deal Volkswagen, one of our fine sponsors on our radio show. And, uh, wow, I mean, uh, they, they supported this campaign. They made it a lot of fun. Uh, nobody really talks about the Marlins in South Florida on any media platform. And uh, yet we, we were constantly touting the idea that every game was of uh, just paramount importance. And, and I think that was a good thing for the team. It was good for the show. It's always good. Like, like this bet we had with Mayo about uh, the first round of the playoffs for the Panthers. I mean, it adds intrigue and it puts people into the situation where even if they don't have money on it, they get a vicarious thrill by uh, riding along with you. Yeah. And, and we made a big deal out of it. I don't know that it was as applauded, uh, applauded as much as it should have been by the people that were running our radio station who had a very adversarial relationship with any team that they carried. 
which is probably why most of the teams that they carried went to other stations <laughs> as soon as they had a chance, right? When I signed on for that job, I was thinking, wow, this is great. I remember telling Leslie Visser, I, I said, uh, wow, I, I got this uh, thing going. I'm going to have to sell my own advertising, but I think I can make that work. I already have a couple of big-time commitments. And uh, the station carries the Heat, the Dolphins, and the Marlins. They have three of the four professional sports teams here in town. And let's face it, with apologies to the late, great Wynn Elliott, nobody's listening to hockey on the radio. No. I, uh, no. you imagine you're no, in your car no. going, hey, let me tune in that hockey game. Ah, he shoots the puck and you hear pucks clanking off glass and off the post and off everything. And you're like, what the hell is going on out there? It's hard enough to follow on TV. It's correct? a lot. So uh, when you're there, you don't even know. Oh, well, who is that? <laughs> that homie's come back on the ice? I don't know. It's not an easy game to follow, although, um, you know, I, I was a big hockey fan as a kid, so I kind of understand uh, a lot of the mechanics of it and uh, can pick up on what's going on uh, without too much difficulty. But uh, nonetheless, on the radio, and I used to love hockey on the radio because uh, we didn't get a lot of games on TV when I was a kid. Uh, when was that, Tifo? <laughs> Imagine this, Luby. We got like one game a week. Dang, that's crazy. Of the Rangers. No, every other week we either got the Rangers or the Knicks on TV. This is, uh, you know, from memory here. And uh, you used to get like an occasional and not not all games were televised in Major League Baseball either. And there was no way you were seeing like games from out of town. I mean, that, that was like a real luxury. That's why the game in a week. Remember that? The uh, Major League game in a week on uh, NBC. I don't wasn't remember it? it. I've heard of it. Yes. We've had games my entire life. It, it was a big deal. It's like, wow, I can see the Red Sox in Cleveland. Are you kidding me? That's what kind of baseball fans we were. Meanwhile, a lot of baseball was crammed in over the weekend. And uh, I happen to tune in. Uh, the Marlins are up uh, on opening day. This was Friday. Marlins are up uh, 5-4 over the Giants in the ninth inning. All right. And you're thinking, this is great. All right. Uh, they're going to get their first win and are on the road. And maybe they can do some good this year. And sure enough, the very first pitch I see by a Marlins reliever. There's a long fly ball deep to left field. And holy Bobby Thompson, it's out of here. This ball game is tied. I'm like, really? I, I happen to tune in. I mean, th this was the kind of torture that we endured when we were betting money on this team to win a certain number of games every year. And it was a very low number, a very low number. Now, I, I think this year it was like 75, 76. And you know what, my, uh, Luby? I don't even care. I almost called you Michael. Michael? I don't even care. I mean, uh, you know, this tragic loss, it was a relief to me that we didn't have any vested interest in this thing. And uh, they did lose that game. They won one out of three uh, opening up the weekend. Uh, and uh, not necessarily the uh, greatest of starts, but uh, all one-run games, which the Giants, by the way, Luby, I, I bet you didn't know this, they excelled in one-run games last year. And they excelled. also won over 100 like games. 33 and 18, something like that. Is that good managing, good relief pitching? What is that? One-run games, pitching, you win them all. Yeah, really, yeah, you're not giving away games is what that says to me. Look, they won over 100 games, and it was a West Coast trip to start the season for a young ball club. So I guess you can explain it away. Well, Craig Mish did say, and we had him on last week on Believe, and he's right, this season isn't about more victory. So it's fine the first series to more victory in a way. But they spent some money in the offseason, and now this is like the fourth year of this regime, or fifth year. Like, Kim Ang, it's time put up or shut up. Like, that's the only problem with that series. Is going one and two. Well, she's only fine. been there one year. So I, know, I don't know, but you can put it on her. It's not on her, but that's what it is. They brought her in to take it to the next level. They brought her in to spend some money, which they did this off season for the Marlins. And look, that division they may not win it because it's ridiculous, but compete, be better. That's why the number seventy six people think they can win eighty to eighty five games. 
But I don't. But that's what people think. Eighty-five <laughs> games. I mean, it's seventy-six. If you thought that, Luby, and the number was seventy-six, then why wouldn't you just take every dime that you have saved since you've been doing this show, and put it right on the Marlins on the nose to go over the total this season? I mean, if you really believe that the uh, bookmakers, the line makers, were off by ten games with this team, which they can be, mm-hmm. although. Usually, I mean, uh, the first year we did this, it came down to the final weekend. Yes. And the Marlins were on the road facing the Mets. That They needed to win one of their last two games to cover the number. And they had to face DeGrom and Syndergaard in yes. back-to-back games. This was Syndergaard before he uh, had the Tommy John. And uh, Syndergaard now, what, with the Angels? Angels, Angels yeah. yeah. Syndergaard with the Angels, uh, who uh, are off to, uh, I think, a slow start, huh? Otani's like two for 17, but he's hitting the snot out of the ball. Uh, very interesting, though. So so you had baseball starting up. You have the basketball playoffs uh, upon us. I, I don't know why. I was just reading in one of those This Day in Sports things. You know, I love that stuff for especially the Hylia Park Trivia Challenge. Go through there. And if I have to come up with some questions, I go right through my whole stockpile of old New York posts. This Day in Sports. Uh, this Day in Sports in like 1930-something. Was that like the original year of the NHL? They actually wrapped up the Stanley Cup. On this day in sports, right? Wow. Uh, so uh, they were done with everything on April 11th. Uh, how many more? They're like 30 more games left in a regular season, Louie. Before we yeah, it's weird that they're so the far behind. In hockey, man. Did they start weird because of COVID? Because usually they are ahead of the NBA by like a week or two. Uh, they started behind. on time. I don't know. What kind of scheduling, uh, you know, schmankdom is this? Where, where, you know, you still have like uh, double figures left in terms of games left in a regular season. Yes. NBA, the NBA, normally an arduous road into July. When it comes to the postseason, they're even set for the playoffs. Okay, so what does Adam Silver have going that uh, Gary Bettman hasn't picked up on that uh, we don't necessarily want to see the Stanley Cup final contested in, in the middle of July? Correct? It's a long way to no, go. It's a little but, weird. Uh, <laughs> anyway, in a pretty good position there. So so you have that, uh, you know, about to uh, be on the horizon here. Uh, still like another couple of weeks at a regular season. NHL, NBA, you got Major League Baseball cranking up. There's always optimism in spring that your team's going to be okay. Although that was quickly dashed for me. I'm going to have that ugly vision, uh, you know, and I'm very much into visualization. And I will see that home run going off the bat of the San Francisco Giants hitter uh, the the minute (laughs) I tuned into the game. Right? I I mean, I I just got the TV on. It was barely coming together. And then all of a sudden, there it is. <laughs> it is high. It is far. It is gone. I mean, uh, I'm channeling my inner John Sterling here. And that's it the- is high. It is far. Oh, and it's caught by the second baseman just outside <laughs> the infield dirt. Well, and that's been the big problem for the Marlins, the bullpen. Every time you're like, all right, good. Look at them. They, they, well, and that, that was the game that they made the, the Mad Dash comeback where they were down and then Jad Chisholm hit a monster home run and they tied it up and they got into extras and then they lost that home run. <laughs> was not the uh, former Marlin, uh, Steve Seacheck, that got involved in that beanball uh, war? with uh, It wasn't really beanballs, but the hit batter thing with the New York Mets. Uh, and that, that was ugliness, right? Uh, Mets Nationals to open up the season. Mets, for the first time in a decade, win their first three ball games, And uh, they got schmutzed yesterday because of uh, some bad fielding. But it does look like Lindor ha- has woken up. He, he, he is part of the new woke society. And he has awakened uh, during the spring. He had a monster spring, as I recall. He hit a lot of home runs and uh, seemed to be tattooing the ball all over the place because the Mets are really sucking the ball. So uh, that'll be a big deal in New York. Uh, it won't be – well, it'll be a minor deal here because I, I would I would say this, that if you combine probably more Yankee fans here in South Florida than Met fans, but uh, plenty of Met fans. A lot fans. of Met fans. 
lot of defected Long Islanders that uh, were in love with the Mets. And, of course, anybody from Queens, naturally, was uh, inclined to be a Met fan because the stadium's right there in your backyard, literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's my backyard. No, no, that's the fence. Yeah, City Field. Uh, but... Uh, I mean, you would think that there might be combined more interest in the Mets and Yankees here in South Florida than there is in the Marlins. Is that a fair statement, Louie? Mets, uh, Yankees, they always draw when they come to town. Mets, uh, to a lesser degree. The Yankees, of course, uh, only come here, what, every other leap year? And they play three games here, and they're all sold out, and you can't get a ticket. And then the rest of the season, it's uh, you're hearing uh, buzzards <laughs> inside the stadium, even when the dome is closed. So uh, hopefully we root for Don Manningly. So uh, I, I'm kind of um, hoping that it turns out to be a much more favorable season, even though this would be the year that we might have been able to cash on the over on 76. So so you have all this work in Luby. And then you had the Masters uh, yesterday, which uh, we'll dive a, a little more deeply into it with John Conchemi. Uh, how about this, Luby? Uh, I had two guys, as it turned out. I believe this to be the case because uh, Paul Casey was one of my guys and he dropped out of the tournament. All right, so he withdrew. So I think you get the next highest name. He was the top guy on the list, although this is just, I, I think, alphabetically placed, uh, the names on the list, uh, and, and they're kind of put together by rankings. So you have to make some tough choices. Now, had I taken Scotty Scheffler instead of John Rahm, how about this one, movie? It shows you how tenuous, how treacherous the whole idea of wagering money is. And, and golf is a fascinating bet. H had I taken Scotty Scheffler, the man who was on fire, right? He's won three tournaments, now four tournaments in the last two months, including his first major. And two months ago, it was his first win ever on the tour. Scotty Scheffler, now the number one player in the world. All right. So and, and I I thought I heard somebody on ESPN Sports Center saying that Scheffler was 40 to one to win this thing. Is that possible? Oh, my God, that's amazing. How could the number one player in the world? But th that would be something that would be believable because no, no, that's no, why yes. I've said golf is one of the best bets that you can make. Now, now, you're not going to be right all the time. You only have to be right. If you had Scheffler at 40 to 1, you could lose the next 39 tournaments and still be even. Yeah. Okay, so there's a chance to make a score there. Now, now you might have spread it around a little bit. But had I taken Scheffler instead of John Rahm, who I – and I – I don't hate John Rahm, but I never want to pick John Rahm to win a tournament. I, I don't know why. I, it's just he seems like a very good guy, but I, I root against him. You know, I mean, I'm always rooting for the guys from the states, right? It, it's really a nationalism thing when it comes to golf, is it not? I mean, I want the Americans <laughs> to do well. Sure. So I, I mean, I, and and that was a flip of the coin, right? And I just said, you know what? The guy's so hot that he'll probably tail off a little bit. You can't win every week on the PGA Tour, and Rom has been, you know, pressing to try and, uh, you know, get the green jacket. And hasn't been able to do it. He's lost his number one spot to the Scheffler guy. Maybe he's all fired up. Seems to have the kind of game. Everybody always says, that. oh, yeah, he's got the game that's perfectly suited for Augusta National. Bullshit. This game sucks at Augusta National. All of you golf experts, all of you people on the Golf Channel, that you should uh, blow those tapes right out of the files there and make sure nobody ever sees them again. Your 872 hours of pre-master's analysis was all garbage, my friends. Garbage. So had he taken Scheffler instead of Rom, I would have had the top three guys in, in uh, the pool because I, I did have uh, Shane Lowry as uh, one of those veteran guys. Uh, you know, you have to pick between like uh, Wiesthazen and Shane Lowry and Schwartzel and all of these nondescript European schminks. And you have to figure that one of them, at the very least, is going to be a factor in these tournaments for what? Into perpetuity? 
Could Tony Jacklin come back from the grave and, and be a factor in a Masters? Because there's always a European schmank that ends up there uh, messing up the leaderboard a little bit because you've overlooked the guy thinking that, okay, it's going to be the usual suspects, right? But McElroy with this miraculous round, and uh, he, he ends up shooting a 64 on a final day to finish seven under par. Now, now was never really in a great position to win it unless Scheffler completely fell apart. Scheffler ended up 10 under, but he four-putted the 18th green. From not that far away. This was a guy who was like money the entire tournament. I mean, if he had a little twisting, turning 10-footer, uh, if this putt is slightly offline, then it could find its way into a watery grave. Like, what watery grave? What are you talking about? <laughs> when, and when did an Englishman take over for Jim Nance? Nance and the boys from CBS had to be particularly, I mean, just uh, absolutely crestfallen. You know, tiger when Tiger's putter, I mean, now... I, I did pick up on this, and this this is a story we're following, Luby, and I want you to do a little research on this and, and you know, get okay. in touch with all of our inside contacts okay. on the PGA Tour. I don't care if you have to call the commissioner. Okay. Was there a movement uh, and a suggestion made by CBS that when Tiger was punting to make the hole bigger? <laughs> you think they would stop short of that, Luby? I wouldn't put so it past them, would you? When Tiger's putting, the hole suddenly expands. It's like a basketball hoop. It's like the size of a basket, yeah. It's like a basketball hoop. Right, and he's allowed to roll a marble in there. Like, uh, I mean, there's like no way you could miss. Not even I could miss. I don't care. I think it'd go this way and that way and all over the place. From 65 feet, here's Tiger. He's made the last four of these. Like, what? Becomes but uh, <laughs> we'll check in on that, man. We'll, we'll get Rinaldi on that. And, uh, you know, if we can ever find Rinaldi again now that he's a big I've chef. I've never heard from him. I don't think Rinaldi's big-timing us. I, I think I think he changed his I number. don't know. Is, is he doing other interviews? I think, I think his phone number changed. I think his phone number changed. And so I, I don't know how to reach out, reach him. That's really all his I His bank was, account was, number changed. That's for I know, sure. He's making more money. Yeah, he's doing well. Yeah. Good for Imagine him. that. He might have left ESPN just when ESPN was ready to uh, lay like any amount of cash on anybody Honestly. to come there and do some announcing. Did you get a call yet from uh, any Not of these yet, guys no. here? No, <laughs> no. Come on, Jack. Dangle us in front of ESPN. There Maybe they'll go. buy the whole show. There That'd be go. great, right? I have to sign a little paperwork, and the next thing you know, everybody's rich. Be fantastic. <laughs> so, so Scheffler wins the thing. I mean, there, there was no uh, – I guess there was a minor amount of drama. Going into, like, uh, you know, after, like, three, four holes, I guess Scheffler had lost a stroke to par, and this guy Cameron Smith, who was in the final group, the final pairing, and he was four shots back to start the day, and he had gotten within one. And then later, he looked like he was making a little charge, right? This guy, I mean, a funny-looking dude. Seems like a decent character. But he's got, uh, what, is that a mullet, mullet in the back? Mullet, 100% mullet, yep. So uh, you don't know if you're watching the Masters or seeing Dwayne Shinsis come back from the grave to uh, tee it up for the Florida Gators. Good for you, Dwayne Shinsis. Shinsis, one of the great mullets of all time. <laughs> and uh, he, he gets to number 12, and, and he had just birdied 11. So you're thinking, uh-oh, game on. All right? I'm looking for a little drama on the back nine because that's, that's usually, uh, you know, isn't that the thing? You know, the Masters isn't over until they get to the back nine on Sunday. And yep. we see juxtaposition all the time. One bad shot, boom, you're out of it. Scheffler had one. Uh, wow. I mean, how, how do you make a bogey on this hole, uh, Luby? You're, you're in the trees, entrenched so deeply in the trees on 18. I mean, he just absolutely shanked one straight to the left. So you, you thought first they weren't going to be able to find a ball. And then you're figuring, how is he going to get out of it? Now, I, I would say this. The, the rules 
Well, I, I guess it makes sense, right? If you're embedded in trees and you can barely find a ball, uh, if you don't have to hit it out, if all you have to do is take one penalty shot and then you can like daintily place it almost on a tee in the rough somewhere, outside, free of uh, any obstacles, and uh, you got a nice clean backswing, and it took him like a long time to make this decision. But uh, he, he decided to go ahead, take the placement, take the penalty stroke, and he ends up making a bogey on the hole, uh, on a hole where he could have easily had a 20 if he had to yeah, hit exactly. out of the trees. Right? I think the pros should have to hit out of anything, right? <laughs> Even if they're deeply in the water, they're so good. I, I don't care. They should have the to water. scuba dive down there and find a way to launch the ball out of uh, whatever it is, even <laughs> if it's dead center lake. Just in the but, I mean, we were talking about this with John Kajemi last week, yeah. and uh, it would be good to have John on today because, uh, you know, there was a lot of you know conversation about this whole thing, naturally stimulated by the presence of one Tiger Woods who went back-to-back 78-78. Now, how do you feel about the fact that he's already announced he's going to continue playing? I mean, he was right there. He, he took 36 putts on Saturday to shoot a 78, <laughs> which uh, is abysmal, uh, not even at best. It's just flat-out abysmal, uh, not – Anything used to uh, what we are accustomed to seeing from when Tiger Woods around the green, and then I, I don't I don't know how he did yesterday because uh, to CBS's credit, when I tuned in, I never saw a shot yeah, of Tiger Woods him. the entire time. Now he was already in Cleveland or wherever else he was going after this, but <laughs> it wouldn't have been inappropriate or, or atypical of CBS uh, obsessed with getting as much Tiger Woods as they could into the broadcast. To, uh, I mean, why didn't they get Tiger in a broadcast booth? That would have been cool. That's what you do is you have him come in and sit there and talk about it. And then you get all the Yeah, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, well, here's what you got to do on 18. Holy Tony Romo. What are we looking at there? That would have been some insight. Why, why, it's too bad that Tiger hasn't gotten to that point where uh, he would be the type of guy. I guess uh, none of these PGA guys are, huh? Azinger would come in there and uh, kibitz with the guys. And now, look, it got him a commentating job. Can you Ofaldo. imagine what kind of money? What would ESPN pay to Tiger Woods to be oh, the golf commentator? I don't know. T- paid Manning money? I mean, that's literally what he would Brady money? I mean, He would have to have the desire because obviously he, he doesn't need the money. Neither does Peyton Manning. How much money is Peyton Manning worth? He wants to buy the Broncos, right? Yeah, he wants I mean, to be it's an between owner. Peyton Manning personally and Walmart <laughs> <laughs> to buy the Broncos exactly. for $4 billion. And Peyton has it in cash. He doesn't have to, uh, you know, uh, bother uh, giving these guys a bunch of stuff on a layaway plan. I mean, they, he could just uh, pony up the money right now. But uh, so, so that would be the thing. I mean, does he have the desire with all the money in the world? I mean, his, his yacht uh, was mistaken for one of the Russian oligarchs and nearly confiscated uh, as it was docked in Palm Beach or Jupiter or wherever he keeps this uh, boat that he has. Right. And, and it's true. I mean, uh, Tiger Woods is next to DiCaprio, and uh, DiCaprio's yacht looks like a dinghy. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the girls are jumping off, right? Brazilian models, swimsuit models are just diving off DiCaprio's boat and swimming straight over to Tiger, who we know also seems to be able to strike a chord with the women. Although seems to be happily entrenched in a relationship, and, uh, you know, everything seems to be flowery and good. He, he was actually... You know, sort of, uh, you know, down home and personal uh, a little bit during some of the interviews, even after his tragic round on Saturday where he went from, I don't know that he was really in contention after Friday. He was about 10 shots back. Was he really going to make this kind of monster comeback on the last couple of days? Uh, Scheffler would have had to collapse completely and everybody else ahead of him, which uh, Saturday was not a particularly good day for scoring there. So anyway, Pool money went up in smoke uh, immediately between uh, I ended up inheriting Bryson DeChambeau from that list where I had Paul Casey. Yep. And uh, with his 12 over and, and adding six strokes because he was, it was not in the field in the last two rounds, 
that that's uh, what that, that was eighteen over, and then I had Jordan Spieth. Never again, Jordan. Never again. I don't care. I hope you make a comeback. Seemed like a really good guy. Was this not one of the all-American stories of all time, Mike Luby Lubitz? Oh yeah, when he a was genuine up. prince of a human being. He talked to the ball like he was Mark the Bird finish. <laughs> Balls in the air. He's like spin, 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 spin. As if he was Monty Hall. Go ahead and spin that wheel and see what you come up with there. Oh, look at that. A zonk behind door number two. Uh, <laughs> but he, he was great. He, he was a good guy. I and mean, he was winning he did a lot. All the right things. Wholesome. I mean, he was the all-American boy. I mean, he was right out of Leave it to Beaver. Right? Yep. God, yeah, you would have <laughs> thought he was the part beef. of the family. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he just he sort of lost it. And, and it looked like he was getting it back. And, and I, I've been playing him almost routinely. In these tournaments, and whoosh, that's it, Luby. Nice. No mouse. None of them. It's Roberto Duran time with uh, Jordan Spieth. I will never pick him again. He, he can win tournaments, but he's buried me. So between him and DeChambeau, two guys, I'm plus 30, right? Because he he, uh, he was uh, DeChambeau's 12 over. He was 6 over, so that was 12. 18 plus uh, what? Plus 12, degenerate math. 30 over from two guys. So it didn't matter that I had second and third and could have had Scheffler. Those two guys alone would have ruined me. Can you imagine? Marcowa wasn't bad. And how about that final hole uh, with uh, Marcowa and McElroy? Did you see this? No. Explosiveness on the PGA Tour, my friend. McElroy is in a trap like half a mile from the hole, uh, you know, even though he's on the side of the green. <laughs> and it's the 18th green, which has like some kind of weird slope to it, where if you hit the ball way at the top of the green, boom, Come it right might down. roll down and go in the hole. So he's coming out of a trap. Now, you know it's impossible to get out of a trap in one shot. Correct, Blueby? It's, it's How many times easy. did you take a swing oh, and no, sand I... went flying and you look down and the guy says, oh, you'll lie three there now. <laughs> right? My uncle's really good at it, but he plays golf weekly. I've never been good at I mean, the sand's the worst. I, I get in the sand. I'm just ready to throw it. <laughs> there was a brief period of time, a very brief period of time where I had uh, received for free an alien wedge from somebody because I talked about it a lot because I love the commercial with Jerry Pate, the alien wedge. And I just like the name of the club. Yeah. Uh, this was predating, uh, you know, where, where you had a lot of like weirdo names for certain things. But this was the Alien Wedge, and it really looked like uh, a waffle iron, like something that you would have picked up at a waffle house, you know, when, when they threw like uh, the utensils that were no longer any good. It looked like a waffle iron on a stick. Okay. Didn't look like any other sand wedge that you would ever uh, seen before. In any golf shop, you would not find the Alien Wedge in any pro shops sold only on TV. Which, which should have been a warning right there that this thing was going to be just some cockamamie, uh, you know, thing that uh, you might be able to have success with. But overall, it was going to be a, you know, just a catastrophic club to have in your bag. But I had some success. I mean, because it would loft the ball like like way up there. And, and all of a sudden, you were hitting sand shots, Luby, that looked like, uh, you know, you, you looked like Raymond Floyd all of a sudden <laughs> trying to get out of the sand in his prime. I don't know. Is he a great sand player? I'm not even sure. I, I, I'm giving you credit for that. I don't know. I don't remember his prime. But, I mean, there's nothing nicer. You explode one out of the sand, right? Everybody's like got all kinds of anxiety. Oh, no, I'm in the trap. And you explode one out of the sand, and it goes high in the air with perfect trajectory, goes a few feet past the pin, and then whoosh, comes rolling right back to the cup. Nice. Hits the flat, either bounces off or goes in the hole. So uh, McElroy, though, has an impossible one, and he has to aim it way to the right because uh, it's got to take in this embankment, and he hits the shot, and it comes out of there. You don't know where it's going to go. It might be in the gallery, and uh, sure enough, it lands at a point in the green 
where it catches the break and rolls into the hole. So uh, he holds out for a birdie. He had been in the trap in a fairway, and then he went trap to trap, usually a very, very uh, indignant thing to happen to a golfer, correct? Trap to trap. Yeah, it's not good. Well, especially if it's a trap on the left side of the green and you go into the trap on the right side of the green, then you really feel like an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) You're hoping nobody saw it. It's like everybody saw it. What are you talking about? It's on film there. People who had their cell phones out. And then uh, Morikawa, who was playing with McElroy, and both these guys are out of it in terms of uh, winning the tournament, although McElroy did get to a seven under, which is where he finished in second place after shooting an eight under par round on uh, Sunday, a brilliant round. Uh, Morikawa is in a trap also, and uh, he hits a completely different type of shot, and boom, that goes in the hole. How about mm, that, Luby? Nice. Oof. If that wasn't the uh, number one play of the week on uh, SportsCenter, then uh, nothing would be. Back-to-back sand shots at 18 at Augusta National. Unfortunately, inconsequential in, in terms of uh, the outcome of the tournament uh, as far as the winner goes, but nonetheless, spectacular ending. Imagine if they, those guys were a little closer. Huh? What do you think? It would be, that would have been, uh, you know, one of the great moments of all time in, in any golf tournament. But uh, so, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, Tiger Woods says he's going to play uh, the Open, which somehow bothers me. I hate that. That it's, it's not referred to as the British Open. The British. Like, what is our Open? Like some, uh, you know, Fucking hamburger stand uh, version of the tournament? <laughs> yeah, I hate that. It's the British Open, the U.S. Open, and it's okay to do that. I don't know why they, the last, like, decade, they've changed it where you're not allowed to call it the British Open. That's what it is. Like, I, that's not a slur. Like, I don't understand that at all. I don't care. If it's it is the British Open. What are you talking about? Whose Open is it then? It, it, I mean, I, uh, literally. Tunisia's? I, I don't know. I mean, it's the British Open. Like, are they saying Americans? We have the U.S. Open. I mean, uh, so why aren't we just the Open? Also? I, it's semantics, I'll be asked, but, uh, you know, nonetheless, it's golf. It's that, golf that's, uh, you weird. know, pseudo-intellectual world that they have going there. Yes, it's a pity. He's not going to be able to uh, get his entry in, in the <laughs> Open. Okay. Everything's a pity over there. Do you notice that? <laughs> it's like Charles fucking Dickens. Uh, unbelievable. <laughs> Everything is a pity. <laughs> And it's a pity these poor guys uh, have to go out there and beg for a living. Um, yeah, right. Anyway, uh, so so he's going to play there, and people are like, oh, uh, you know, he really looks like he's finished. He should retire. Oh, that, he, what, what the hell? If the guy wants to play, let him play. He made the cut. That that was pretty good. Look, he made the cut, and he, made, he played four days, so good for him. Uh, yeah. The one thing is he a lot of people I saw, and I didn't get to watch much Sunday. I saw a little bit, but whenever I saw, they didn't show Tiger to their credit. But whenever people saw him playing Sunday, he looked like he was laboring. That's one. Yes. Which he would. I mean, it was his first tournament his first tournament in two years. He was ready to die, this guy. What are you talking about? And his post was interesting. It, the first half sounds like he's just, you know, I had a good time. Good job, Scotty Scheffler. And the end was like, it was a great run. And I was like, okay, yes, you could just be talking about this and the fact that he made the cut and he hung around for two and a half days. But also a lot of us like me are like, yeah, it was a great run. All right, <laughs> you know, like what else do you have to? Play? Well, you know my, uh, you know, song I often reference here, uh, and I believe Roberta Flack had a version of the song. Although people have disputed this with me, uh, trying to get that feeling again, right, is the name of the song. All right, so so think about this. When you saw the massive galleries, and, and now they're following uh, Scheffler and uh, Cameron Smith in the final group. But okay, so those guys go through like fifteen. They're the final group. And you're looking around, uh, you know, the gallery around the hole there, and it looks like there's 20,000 people there. You would think the Yankees were in Game 7 of the World Series. Now, all of those people start to, uh, you know, whoosh their way uh, towards 16, and then, you know, those people. So by the time it's done, I mean, there's this surging mob 
like it was pictured when Tiger was coming down 18 in 2019. I'm starting to sound like Jim Nance here on the show. No, I think huh? you're Mr. Golf. Well, when Tiger was coming down 18 in 2019. Hello, friends. <laughs> no, but remember, I mean, what was the thing about that scene? The, the people just, uh, yeah, you know. Insane. Coming together and meshing together by the thousands as they followed him up. That feeling must be something, huh? I mean, so uh, for a couple of rounds, Tiger was sort of uh, in the mix there, was he not? Not so much the second day, but uh, very much the first day. I mean, who would have figured that? And, and maybe, you know, I mean, for coming back after uh, not not just like a, what, a two-year layoff, but I mean, where the guy was practically being outfitted for a body bag after that <laughs> car accident. Pretty amazing. I mean, uh, so, so why wouldn't you want to just perpetuate that feeling? It must be something, huh? Oh, Scheffler said he was overwhelmed by the uh, you know prospect of going out there as the leader on the final day that he uh, like was sobbing like a baby in the morning saying, I am not worthy. <laughs> I'm not worthy. All of a sudden, he turned into Jimmy Swaggart, this cat. <laughs> the epitome of calm. All they talked about the entire tournament, it worthy. was really, very, very interesting, was like, well, this man's the epitome of calm. But she appeared to be, and then he tells you after the tournament when he won it that he was a complete, uh, you know, just a train wreck in the morning, that his wife had to talk him off the fetal position that he was in as, uh, you know, okay, Scotty, time to go. So interesting, you know, the, the entire uh, prospect. But, um, yeah, so Tiger's still on board. He says he's going to play the Open, the British Open, if you will, and, and uh, the PGA possibly also. And uh, I don't know that we'll see him in the uh, Pool on Weed Eater Westchester Classic. <laughs> he probably won't be doing the little tournaments, no. But if he can keep doing the majors and hang around, then I guess that for him is success. I mean, he just likes to play. He wants to be there. He enjoys it. So good for him. All right. Well, check in and see, see if uh, I, I will we can find somebody that has inside information about CBS proposing to the PGA like that listen. bigger. This ain't looking so good with Tiger Woods, huh? So can we make the hole bigger when he's putting? Is there a way to do that? Call Hootie. Oh, he's not uh, in charge anymore. It's not Hootie anymore. All right, a lot of things to discuss here on the program. I mean, this is it. So what do you think? Okay, you have baseball started up for real. All right, it was a little late, but uh, nonetheless, it's in action now. And a lot of exciting things going on in Major League Baseball, um, including what? They had uh, about 1 a.m. last night. The Red Sox and the Yankees concluded a 4-3 game Jesus. on ESPN with uh, three straight guys Striking out to uh, nice. end the ninth inning for the Yankees. There you go. Stanton's off to a hot start, but uh, Judge struck out, Stanton struck out, and then this uh, Gallo who, uh, wow, I mean, is there a hole in this guy's bat or what? <laughs> He's going to stripe like 37 homers and have no other hits this year. <laughs> in, in 605 at-bats with like 508 strikeouts. It's going to be awesome. Yankee fans have that to look forward to. I'm, I'm sure Harvey will be crying about that tomorrow when he joins us <laughs> on the show. He's our resident Yankee fanatic, which it's good to have that kind of guy on the program, That's is fine. it not? Because it represents exactly how insane fans can be. This yeah. whole yeah Yankee fan mentality is that uh, you know they have an entitlement to the championship, which they haven't won since when? What 2009 was that the last one? Yeah, what well, the A right year? Yeah, I mean mid, late 2000s, the late 2000s, I guess. It's a long time for those guys to go without a championship. We here in South Florida, we, we can go forever. <laughs> We're used to it in every sport. What do we need a championship for? <laughs> All right, uh, Jack and Jimmy is going to join us in a little while, and uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. We'll, we'll go through uh, some more uh, Masters analysis. Uh, 
He was in there the first day. He had a couple of very representative players. And now it's odd that I ended up with like second and third and uh, literally, I mean, just a stupid. You're stupid. You're stupid. A stupid move. <laughs> How do you take a guy that you, I mean, this is it in a nutshell. This is the whole degenerate complex where you take a guy that you never bet on and you root against him because you never have money on the guy even though he's a very prominent player. And how do you take him this time over the guy that's absolutely on fire? So you thought about uh, Scheffler? Said, you actually thought about taking Scheffler? Of course. Oh, how you could did? you not? Because oh, I, mean, I don't think my golf. Fire, I've never but heard of I, him. I just said, you know what? Uh, it's kind of like, you know, you see a horse that's won like two races in a row. All right. And everybody's, you know, except, you know, maybe at the highest stakes levels where you're talking about like secretariat and the horse has won like nine in a row. Uh, very rarely do horses win three races in a row, Luby, because they're usually moving up in caliber of competition or whatever. Uh, you know, they, they peak out one time and then the next time they come out a little bit flat. Have you noticed that a few times when you've been at the track? You, you could spot it right away. You know, look at the seven. He looks a little bit flat today. Um, kind of like we do on a Monday morning. I was going to say, so I feel today. <laughs> All right. So, so I'm thinking as hot as this guy is, I mean. To win four tournaments in, in that short of a span of time, it's a lot. I mean, that, that's, that's Tiger, Tiger Woodsian from Tiger uh, years stuff. ago. Yep, yep. Big Jack, you know, I yeah, mean, yeah, I would yeah. Do stuff like that. It's great to the greats. Yep. So uh, I, I didn't know if he was ready for that, and he didn't know if he was ready for it. But it turns out, unfortunately for me, that he was much more ready for it than John Rahm, <laughs> who blew a gasket. It wasn't horrible. I mean, he ended up four over par, but uh, well off the pace there, 14 strokes back. So that was a 14-stroke mistake right there. Uh, but I would have had one, two, and three. I still would have lost, uh, oh. you know, just go with Jordan Speed. <laughs> you imagine? That's crazy. You well, do that well and still lose. <laughs> Lose. I mean, like, I would have got destroyed because of uh, DeChambeau uh, and uh, yeah. Jordan Spieth being 30 over in in tournament pool points there. Oh, 30 over par. Wow. Unbelievable. All right. So John's going to join us in a little while. I, you know, this was nice. Did you see this on Facebook? One of our big fans. And uh, I want to say Rosalie. Uh, okay. It was uh, saying Rosalie. that it went to Hylia Park. Nice. Rosalinda. Ro- Rosalinda. Rosalinda. Yeah. 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 And a beautiful fan of the show and uh, said she went to Hylia Park just because of our recommendation and to support the Defoe show. The fans are rallying behind you, Luby. That you can't ask for anything more as uh, a host of a program. When the people are saying, you know what? You told me to go to Hylia Park and uh, I want to make sure that they do well because I like the show. Nice. That is great tribute. Yeah. Thank you very much for that. Very, very sweet. And uh, I would imagine that uh, she had nothing but a blast there. I, I don't know. Did she come back with, like, a lot of money or something? Because Steve Calibro probably – he is close to just greeting you at the door and handing you a check. I mean, it's getting <laughs> like that with the machines there. How great would that be, right? You come to a casino, here's a check. Like you were Joe Garagiola, right? Uh, you buy a car, you get a check. You come here, and it seems that way because guys are winning jackpots. So people are winning jackpots all the time. So a lot of lucky people leaving Hialeah Park. You're, you're lucky if you go there because you're going to get a great atmosphere. Uh, you're going to get a big chance to win. Uh, whether you're a slot player, whether you're uh, Vegas-style games like craps and roulette, you have all of that available to you. Then you have the poker room. And then, of course, now I got buried at a local paramutual facility. And I'm thinking... That burial would have been uh, a lot more easier to take if I was uh, incurring that at Hialeah Park because I, I would have been in, in, well, you know, a very, very nice atmosphere. That, that's too, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so you got the Triple Crown races coming up. All of the prelims are pretty much done. They had all of the uh, last three, the Wood Memorial, the Bluegrass there at Keeneland, which, uh, woo, some raw weather there the first couple of days of the meet. It was beautiful there yesterday, Louie. But uh, you haven't experienced this. If you're there on a lousy day, I was talking to a friend of mine, George, on Friday, who I ran into at uh, Sea Watch across the street, and uh, he said the same thing. Man, if you're there on a raw day, and he, he goes up there for like a month or two, you know, he stays in the area, but, uh, you know, he spends the whole three weeks there at Keeneland. Uh, it, it, it's tough to take. So I'd uh, much rather be in Benton Keeneland in the cozy confines there at uh, Hylia Park in the champion simulcasting room. And uh, all the big three limb, uh, prelim races are done for uh, three-year-olds. So uh, make your plans to be there, especially if you haven't been out of Hylia for a while. You'll get the vibe as if you were at Churchill for the Kentucky Derby because that's the kind of history that this place represents and reflects. And, and it's still the kind of feeling that you get when you walk in the door. There I am again, trying to get that feeling again, Luby. Yes, sir. Trying to get that feeling again. So while Tiger wasn't able to carry it out all the way through the four days, you can do it at Hialeah Park. And always feel like a champion. In the champion simulcasting room, as we say, great food and drink, free parking, all kinds of amenities when you get a player's card. A lot of entitlements come with that, including a generous allotment of free play. And it's all happening at beautiful Hylia Park. And don't forget about the boxing, right? Henry Revolta got me excited when he was on the show. That was uh, Friday, right? Friday show. We had Henry on on a degenerate Friday. Yes, 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 yes. Or- might have been last Thursday, but whatever day it was, uh, boxing promoter Henry Revolta, who I owe a, a great uh, debt of gratitude for, for always believing in me as a play-by-play announcer. And uh, I got to call a lot of his cards uh, here in South Florida. And, and you know what? What would be more exciting, Louie, than sitting ringside with a headset on, channeling my inner Don Dunphy, and sitting there and going, the left, the right, the left, the right. Speaking of fights, showtime before we uh, you know, end this uh this is a long, uh, you know, tribute to Hylia Park, that, that's for sure. But uh, a great fight between a guy who's from Palm Beach. We're going to have to try and uh, get him on a show if we can. Erickson Lubin, are you familiar with this guy? He's kind of your namesake, a boxer. Yeah, you've talked about him before, I think. Uh, very flashy. Uh, you know, he had one loss to, I believe it's Jermel Charlo, because uh, there are two Charlos, and they both uh, were fighting in the same division there for a while. I, I think one is in a different weight class now, but... Uh, Jermel Charlo, who uh, is no slouch, right? I mean, this guy's great. I think he has one loss, and that was disputable over, like, almost 40 fights now. Uh, so his only loss was to Charlo. He got knocked down in, in one round in that fight. Just got smacked right away, and boom, he was out of it. Sometimes you can dismiss that sort of loss. And then he came back, won six tough fights, and he's in there against this guy they call the Towering Inferno. This guy's like 6'6", six, six, and he weighs 154 pounds. Can you imagine? Six six, like Chuck Nevitt, man. I mean, as a middleweight, junior middleweight in this case, and these two guys wage a war. Uh, Sebastian Fonduro, I, I believe, is the guy's name. Fonduro, something like that. And I've seen him fight before, and uh, you know, skinny. I mean, uh, the arms are no bigger than a pencil, and yet he packs a wallop. This kid, nice. That that is a great fight. It was on Showtime. They probably replay it sometime this week, or you can just like punch it up there. Now, I guess you don't even have to record stuff. You're almost better off if you don't record a show. Yeah. Because it's easier to find. Yep. Right? Because uh, 60 Minutes last night, by the way, Dynamite. Scott Pelley with his Lenski interview. You know I love Pelley. I mean, Pelley is a modern-day Walter Cronkite to me. I, I think he's like the best newsman I've ever job. seen. Yeah, I like Pelley. Wow. Great job with this uh, Zelensky interview, man. Pelley, just uh, well, absolutely Zelensky's brilliant. Great. The Zelensky guy. Well, he, he, he was great also, but, uh, you know, but Pelley, I mean, too. Nora O'Donnell's got to be just absolutely screaming to her agent today. How did he get that interview when I didn't get it? 
You think she's that type, like a Katie Kirk type? Probably. You know, they all are. Always They're all very behind competitive. The scenes, very competitive. Get the, uh, big, the big get. That's as big a get as you could get, right? I mean, oh, right uh, now? Zelensky, yeah. And it goes into, like, his secret place where he's hanging the uh, Pelly in there with lights. You'd think the Russians could find this guy, right? Uh, if uh, Pelly managed to go in there with, like, a CBS truck? I think they know not to. <laughs> I mean, whatever the restraint America has right now would... It would open the. Fl- I mean, the war, the world would literally descend on Russia if they touched the guy. That's the funny thing is everyone assumed he'd be gone. No, Russia knows they can't touch him. They could get him. They 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 could for sure. He's not high. He's out there more than anyone. He's out there. Yeah, he's, he's, he's tweeting, videoing. Oh, like Russia can find him if they really wanted to find the guy. He knows it too. He's talked about it. He's not going to hide, and they know that's the last straw. America's had restraint. If they do that. They will take out. Putin. I mean, because they could have already. They could have taken out Putin if they really wanted to. They're just not. Tr- they're trying not to start a world war. And Russia is. I don't know if the word respecting be in favor of not that. starting a world war. Well, no yeah. one wants that. But I'm saying uh, Russia's le- leaving him alone, and he and he's taking advantage of it. And I think he should. Yeah, Pelly. I mean, great job, man. That, that was really good stuff. Anyway, our recommendation is go to Hylia Park, win a bunch of money. Lately, I've been getting clobbered. I got annihilated two days in a row uh, at the racetrack, Louis. Annihilated. It's ugly. That's uh, four straight losing sessions after uh, the big wins that we had a couple of weeks back. So uh, we're rolling the dice and a lot of seven outs. Right? Ugliness, right? I had a point of six. Okay, six, six, six. Any hard ways? And the next roll, you, you turn around like, uh, you know, to tell the, the wife, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm going to be here for a little while. Boom, there it is. <laughs> there you go. Four and a three, four and a three, five and a two, a six and a one. Such ugliness. All right, we're coming back with more in a moment here. Uh, Jack and Jimmy's going to join us. Uh, it's great being with you. Peel yourself off the map Monday here on Ion Channel. Google the Defoe Show. The five reasons uh, re-airing of what? Uh, what do you send these guys? Like a segment of the show? Well, how, how do you do this? I, I, our most South Florida-centric discussions. I post each day on Five Reasons Sports, and it does really well. Andy, uh, now that he's hit 65, a little confused, he puts up on the message line that uh, he, he thought Zelensky might have been at Hylia yes, Park. Yes, combined a lot of things in that last 10 minutes. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Hylia Park is part of the fabric of the it conversation. Could, I don't know uh, how. That's the way I feel about this whole thing. Yeah, it doesn't matter if we're like, <laughs> like, I don't think you have to distinguish whether you're in a, you know, uh, an endorsement or not. Okay? Because it's just part of us. And we respect their loyalty and the loyalty of our fans to, to just go out there and say, hey, we did this for you, Defoe and Luby. How great is that, I man? love it. I think it's great, and I appreciate it. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, we're coming back with more. John, can Jimmy, uh, what, what's the word on John? Might be a little bit uh, on like the uh, late side today. Hibana's at 8.15. Okay. Well, I mean, is he getting a haircut? What is he doing, man? The guy already looks great. What, some what is appointment, he and they're, they're uh, screwing around, as they say. So. Oh, yeah? Yep, this is what I was told. Okay. So it is what it is. We'll be all right. All right. Well, that'll be a lot of fun when we get John yes. on the show. So we'll come back with more in a moment here on ION Channel. Great to be with you. Peel yourself off to Matt Monday. Jeff DeForest one. Mike Luby Lubitz returning with more in a moment. Now that. The time. It's 7.56. If poker is your game, you're covered in style. And you can play all your favorite Vegas-style games, including blackjack, craps, and roulette, in Hylia Park's sizzling hot casino. Get a player's card when you walk through the door for all kinds of generous amenities, including our favorite, free play. When you come out to the ultimate casino and entertainment destination, Hylia Park. These days, we're all looking for comfort anywhere we can find it. Thank goodness for Landlubbers, Raw Bar and Grill in the plantation location because they are making sure you are as comfortable as possible 
you're going to have the best wings in the world. You're going to have a great burger. You're going to have their amazing soups. Again, Landlubbers, Raw Bar and Grill. It's nice and easy. Just go to landlubbersbarandgrill.com for both your pickup and free delivery. Thank goodness for Landlubbers for making you always feel right at home. Catholic Health Services is committed to care that changes as your needs do. Our full continuum of services is designed to be there throughout your care journey. If you need assistance with daily living, post-acute care following a serious health event, or additional medical care at home, we also offer skilled nursing and palliative and hospice care. Your care needs may change, but our commitment never does. Catholic Health Services, South Florida's number one choice for post-acute and end-of-life care. Visit catholichealthservices.org. Jason Taylor, by the way, welcome to the show. Now we have to get Jimmy Johnson in the ring of honor. Yeah. In Dallas. How is he not? Uh, oh, that, that, well, that, that, that ain't happening now. Uh-oh, got to go. You'd have, you'd have <laughs> to buy the stadium. Can you make enough money in autographs? Buy the stadium? I can't, even buy, I can't even buy a Coke at that stadium or Pepsi, whatever they sell over there. Jason, always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks, Thanks guys. for stopping by. Jason Taylor with us here on Radio Row for Super Bowl 54. We'll be back with more in a moment. Oh, now that. Wins. Oh, I tried to beat you to oh, it. Do it. I'm going to let you do let it. Do okay, it. back with more in a moment. Now that. The time. There it is. Yeah, nice. <laughs> it's 931. You're going to get there. There you go. My bad. I forgot 931. The best way to kick off your day is with Defo plus Luby. We now return to the Defo show. A genuinely uh, great American, uh, Jason Taylor, former Miami Dolphin, who uh, I, I still have uh, speak of visualization and visions of things that happen to you. Uh, in your lifetime, and uh, it's the easiest way to remember things if you can possibly, you know, just picture it happening. And I, I remember a very nervous Mike Luby Lubitz running over because uh, we were scheduled to have Jason Taylor. This was a radio run for the Super Bowl that was in Miami a couple of years ago. And so we're on our home turf here, and uh, you had made arrangements to get Jason Taylor on a program, and he naturally was in hot demand. I mean, yep. uh, as a guy, a Hall of Famer, and uh, was a brilliant player, good-looking guy and uh, well-spoken. And as you could tell just from that uh, tail end of the conversation that we had, uh, a very friendly guy. And so he's walking, and a lot of people are following him, right? Uh, like writers and everything. Well, they're, they're all stopping like, him. Uh, hey, Jason. Hey, Jason. What about this? What about that? And we were on a time and, schedule. Uh, we were alive, so we were on a time schedule. Like, we didn't have time to, to mess around. Like, we needed to get him on. So you, you thought that there was an excellent possibility that he was just going to blow us off. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. And so you went out, you grabbed a guy, and you made sure he came over, which is great. I mean, that's, uh, you, you learned uh, very quickly that uh, you have to be – the usual passivity, uh, you know, uh, being passive, uh, you know, it wasn't going to work, right? I mean, uh, hey, hey, Jason. Oh, yeah, you want to do that interview first? Uh, <laughs> no, no problem. No, you'll never see him. Then you, you, never see the guy again, him right? Uh, one o'clock comes and psh, got to float right out of here and yep. uh, right out the door. He's already on a plane to somewhere else. Yep. Uh, so anyway, you, you drag him over there and uh, you're thinking that he was going to blow us off. And it turned out, uh, just uh, as you could tell from that last clip, that he was a giant fan of the show. Yes. Well, I went over to get him. He's like, all right, cool. And he, he came and then I went to introduce myself. He's like, I know who you are. And I, I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, I know who you are. I was like, okay, whatever. I just thought he was full of shit. And then when he sat down and started doing the show, I'm like, I wonder if he really listens to us. And then when he did that, I'm like, oh, my God, I think he, I guess he listens. Like that was Listens? He wanted weird. to do the uh, out cue. <laughs> 
I'm like, I don't even. Because everybody loves Johnny Eddie. Although uh, <laughs> most uh, program directors usually were like, you're not going to use that stupid oh, thing it. with the time again, are you? They hate it. That's what's about everything that makes our show our show that people literally will yeah. call out in the street. Like, there's a lot of different things. They'll just call out weird things you've said or we've said over the years. And sure. those are all the things anyone in management's always try to get rid of. And I always think it's yeah. funny. Like, why would you try and get rid of the things that people remember us for? <laughs> like, what? Well, I mean, if you have a signature thing and, and, <laughs> like, and people what? like it. In general, I mean, I'm sure there are people that want nah, to play bitch the about time. It. They're going, well, what the hell is that? Yeah, they bitch. But whatever, you know, who cares? Who cares about the time anyway uh, anymore? It's Chicago. Does anybody really know what time it is? Speaking of which, uh, yeah, I mean, we are going to uh, be joined by John Jemmy for you Jemmy fans out there. He, he says what? what? What is he having? A root canal? What's going I know, on? I know, he some appointment. So he said 815. I said, wonderful. We'll see right. you at 815. He at the donut shop? Uh, what, what is he doing? <laughs> I don't, I don't worry about him. I can talk to him. All right. Well, uh, speaking of football, too, uh, and uh, wow, I mean, this is a strange story, and uh, I haven't really been able to get a grasp on it. I, I get a text uh, very early in the morning from uh, our good friend Southern Brian. You know Southern Brian. Uh, did you, you met him out there, I think. Uh, didn't you come out that one day, and he came out? And I met him a couple of times. I met him at Even Keel a couple of times. I met yeah. him at uh, Cut Above. I met him at the Teak. Really good dude. I really like him. So he tells me that he was driving around picking up a friend at the airport uh, early Saturday morning and that he actually saw the body of Dwayne Haskins on the side of the highway. Oh, shit, really? uh, Because he he came upon this, uh, you know, shortly after it happened. Oh, Jesus. And it's the saddest of stories. And it's always a shame now that it ends up like the the slightest thing and you end up just being absolutely, uh, I mean, uh, you know, crucified for, for saying something, uh, you know, it may have been insensitive. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, if a guy dies at 24, it's a massive tragedy. And everybody seemed to like Dwayne Haskins. Yet, yet as sports fans, unfortunately, uh, there's this tendency to just label a guy as a bust like You're- right away, even though we know nothing about him. You remember him I, <laughs> for like how he played in the pros, but I, you don't have to do that like in his obit. <laughs> like you can wait till later. Well, and it's not even his obituary. I mean, yeah, I mean, would you put that on his gravestone? Well, yeah, the, the Redskins at the time wasted a draft pick on this guy as they took him number 15 and he never panned out. I, I don't know. In the immediate aftermath of the guy passing away, is that necessary to include as part of the discussion? We just wouldn't. I know and, us. We would just talk about that he passed and he was 24 and it's sad. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of all you need so to So Schefter, uh, Adam Schefter, the insider, now $9 million a year insider for ESPN. And uh, he seems like a very credible guy to me. I, I don't know that all of his information is factual, but he, as a human being, he, he seems like he would be a, a decent guy. Does he not? Yeah, he's wrote books about, uh, like, the father of his new wife's uh, yeah. kids and crying about how he was a hero in the 9-11. And, like, he, like, I mean, he seems like a human. He seems more like a human than when he does very the, human. the insider uh, I saw reports. I, I sorry, Louis. I, I saw a no, piece no. on him uh, by John Frankel on HBO Real Sports, and John Frankel used to be a guy, a local guy in Palm Beach, and uh, escalated his career to the point where he, he's one of the main guys. Well, they only have a handful of guys that, that do stories on HBO Real Sports, but he always does very interesting stuff. Does a great job, and uh, seems to be a real professional. And uh, he did a feature because both he. And Adam Schefter uh, share in common that they uh, both married women who had uh, their husbands that they'd already had children with. I'm not sure about Frankel uh, with the children, but I I believe this to have been true about Schefter, uh, that that they both married uh, women that had husbands perish in 9-11. Yes. 
and the whole psychological aspect of this, uh, you know, and kind of replacing that that gentleman in the home, uh, you know, dealt, you know, all kinds of blows in terms of, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, exactly what the mental approach was going to be to this whole thing. And so he seemed like a very real down-to-earth person. I mean, they shared this, and it was a very touching and the moving piece by John Frankel on HBO Real Sports with Adam Schefter. So I, I tend to believe that, that he's a, a well-meaning Fine, yeah, I mean. and passionate-feeling human being. Uh, yeah. All right? Uh, now, he has a job there, and he's competing with all these other insiders. You don't think Lock and Foreign would like to see Schefter hit by a bus? Oh, Rappaport. Like- <laughs> They're all super aggressive. Right. All of them, like, insane. That's a very aggressive, uh, competitive aspect of the business. And uh, I I don't know what's really at stake there. I I guess, I mean, I'm going to turn on ESPN as a matter of habit anyway, correct? That's what I always do. I I have it right now. It's going on, right? I mean, at some point during the day, ESPN is going to pop up on my television screen. And and it's it's not because I think, wow, they've got breaking stories through Schefter. Now, I don't care if they reported it last. Right. They're, they're probably the best at putting together all of these highlights and it's yep. the biggest platform for it. So yep. naturally, you're going to tune in. So I, I don't know about the obsession with breaking the news, but um, Schefter said he mentioned in, in his first tweet, which is why Twitter very dangerous, Luby, that Haskins wasn't the greatest pro player and, and people. He, wow. I mean, lost it. They lost. They crucified this guy, and I guess it's Gil Brandt. Gil Brandt. I was going to say Gil. Still alive? And we've had him on before a few times. Gil Brandt did yeah. the same thing. He was he was actually even more verbose than Schefter, and then encapsulated it oh, by yeah. tragedy, he tragedy. Made it sound like, yeah, he made it sound like uh, Haskins did this because he didn't stay in school for another year. He, made it, he went really into it, and then was like, but it's a tragedy. It's like. That was a little non sequitur. <laughs> I, I, I suppose this is an answer that we probably will never get because nobody's come up with it yet. Well, what the heck? The guy uh, now uh, this morning, I heard a story that, that he had a plane to catch. So was, was he thinking, running across the street? This guy walking across or on I five ninety five. What plane? Like the airports? Have, you would know. You don't walk to the airport. Who's walking on that road? He made I money. Mean, he's nobody. still on the team. He, he literally was down here practicing with a bunch of Steelers guys. Like, he's an NFL, and he was going to be a backup. Like, and with Trubisky there, he had a shot to start. Like, the guy wasn't a, like, the, the, this is ideas, when you get a silver alert. I mean, that you're walking on the highway. It was just weird. And, uh, you know, the guy, guy has Alzheimer's or, uh, you know, possibly you ran out of gas. Yeah, maybe. And, uh, yet, uh, you know, your, your move would be to stay by your car, would it not? Not, not, not to start wandering off there because there, there's nowhere to get off. Not a way. Right, especially in that area, the of highway? 95 and 595. Wow. That so I, I don't know that we'll ever know what the guy was doing on the highway, uh, Dwayne Haskins. He, he um, seemed to be very, very extremely well-liked by yep, everybody. Yep. And, uh, you know, so these people that made, uh, you know, kind of uh, disparaging remarks about uh, how he wasn't the greatest ball player, uh, you know, who, who knows? He, he might have evolved because, uh, man, he, he was a hell of a player at Ohio State. There, it, there's no doubt about that. And yeah. I, I thought he was going to be a good pro. Well, I, I did. really did. You no, know, I did. I'm the one that thought he should have been drafted over Daniel Jones. And I was waiting yeah. for him to tur- sort of turn it on a little bit. I thought he I thought he'd be the eventual quarterback at, with the Steelers. I hadn't written him off. He's only 24. Like, I hadn't written him yeah. off as a bust. He just hadn't found his lane yet to me in the NFL. You know, if in the right situation, as they say, yeah, but uh, yeah. seemed to be a very well loved by everybody. And uh, so Schefter Sad. was uh, literally like lambasted, uh, lambasted all over the place. And, and Gil Brandt, I mean, just looked like Al Campanis. Yeah, on this thing. I mean, he's in. I his mean, life. he really did, you know, <laughs> talking about, uh, you know, they don't have the mental capacity. I mean, come on, Gil. 
you got to snap out of the past. All right, uh, John, we're ready to go. What what happened? Did he get that tooth drilled? Uh, oh, there he is. <laughs> get the tooth drilled. <laughs> who, who has a dentist appointment at 7 a.m.? I didn't I mean, say it was, no, it was Botox. I had to go for Botox. Botox, this there you go. <laughs> get ready for the show. There you go. Well, I mean, uh, you know, it was sort of a tragic weekend for us, uh, John, and uh, we, we did dive into the Masters, which is fascinating no matter what, and they had a lot of different aspects to it. Uh, oddly, and I was, uh, you know, bitching at Luby here earlier this morning, and it wouldn't have mattered because I had, you know, Jordan Spieth, which was going to put me out of the tournament uh, with his, uh, he ended up, uh, you know, by the pool standards with the plus six over the weekend, so he ended up at plus 12, so that was going to negate a- any good pick that you had made. But um, I, I and I took Scheffler off uh, because I thought, well, you know, guys don't win like four tournaments in a short span like right. that, especially not first crack at, at winning a Masters. And I uh, took Rom, uh, you know, because I got talked into it by all these stupid handicappers that said, oh, yeah, well, he's got the game for the course. And, you know, the big Spaniard following in the footsteps of Seve Ballesteros and yeah, uh, Jose Seve. Maria Alapabal <laughs> and uh, Sergio Seve. and all the greats that have gone before him. I'm like, uh, so I bought it like a fool. I always bring up Seve. Literally. The minute they bring up Seve, it's like, you know what? I'm tuning out. That's like their go-to yeah. to bring up Seve. <laughs> like, I know. Tony Seve, yeah. Like I said as if, well, Seve. He's just like Seve. He's like, what is Here's what mean? he would have done there. <laughs> You, you yeah, have a little bit of bias there in the alert. first place. That's exactly, what I always exactly. Ask, right? yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, so so it was a disaster for me because uh, I ended up with uh, like McElroy was uh, second. He, he played a brilliant round there, sixty four on Sunday, the lowest round uh, of the tournament, and uh, and and a great. I mean, have you ever seen anything as explosive as uh, Morikawa and McElroy on eighteen? Even though they weren't in cool. contention, yeah. Wow, they both blast out of the sand on eighteen and hold the shots. It, you never it was see one that. One of the most remarkable shots in a row. Actually, those guys both made eagle on 13 as well. Wow. They both stuff it in there, you know, inside maybe 10, 12 feet, and they make for eagle. And then they chip in uh, from the bunker, kind of different, you know, vanilla chocolate variety. One has to ride the slope down, and one goes directly at the pin in Morikawa, but uh, same result in a birdie. So that, that was, there were some exciting aspects to the Masters this year, but for, for me, anyway, it just seemed like it was a one-horse race yeah. most of the time, and you didn't get the drama of, you know, like multiple players on the back nine or, you know, the second nine on Sunday to be able to really enjoy that last hour and a half because the drama was kind of sucked out of it. You know, early I thought we were going to have a horse race. You know, early it looked like you were going to have Cam Smith, you know, go birdie, birdie, uh, even it up when, when Scheffler knocks it left off of the tee on three, and now it's going to be a total flip after four holes that Cam Smith's going to be leading this golf tournament, and it didn't go that way. You know, the script changed, and Scheffler kind of got back uh, in control of the tournament and just toasted from there. Oh, that shot on 12 uh, by Cameron Smith. I mean, you, you talk about a tragic stroke. Uh, he, he puts it in that creek, which that wasn't even the creek that we were talking about. I think that creek's on 15 where everybody somehow ends up in there. But I mean, how, how pathetically short could he have hit this ball after birding the previous hole and, and finally putting maybe a small element of pressure right. on Scotty Scheffler? I mean, he had crept within one earlier. 
And then Scheffler uh, kind of got it together. But uh, he ends up with a triple bogey on the show. He even shanked the shot after that. I thought he was going to put the, uh, you know, the wedge right right in the back of the caddy after uh, that second shot. It went way off to the right of the green. And he ends up with a triple. And, and that, that kind of sucked the drama out of it because it seemed like Scheffler could afford more than a few mistakes, uh, you know, like three, four different mistakes and still come out of it with a win. Yeah, you're right. That The shot on 12. How many great golfers, you know, world-class golfers, have we seen over the past 25, 30 years get to 12 and hit it in the water? And you go, how did that guy just make birdie on 11, one of the toughest holes? Yeah. And now he's got nine iron in his hand, not a five iron coming into the green. And and it never has a chance from the minute it leaves the golf club. You know, you knew that it just the flight of the ball, <laughs> the wind was going to hit it. It was going to be short. And um, it, it falls, you know, just hopelessly into Ray's Creek. And it's it's like, whoa. Well, how did that happen to a guy that seemed like he was going to have the golf tournament in control? So, yeah, we've seen it happen. Molinari did it. You know, uh, Kepka has done it over the past couple of years. That seemed like they've had the tournament in control. They were going to, you know, seize control of the uh, of of the green jacket, and you end up with a double or a triple, and it kind of you know vaults you down the list uh, in terms of challenging for for the championship. And and Scotty Scheffler from there really was on cruise control. All right, you had Scheffler. I did. Uh, I had Scheffler. You had DJ, who who did well. Okay, so uh, not bad. Kisner, I think, ended up plus four or something like that. Thomas did well. Yeah, Kisner was was in there. Yeah. Yeah, but but Shoffley, I'll probably never speak to Shoffley and Woodland again (laughs) in my lifetime. Yeah, Woodland, I thought, was a very sketchy pick. Yeah. Well, I wanted to go somewhere on that list. I was going to go out of the box because I wanted to be different than everybody. And I was looking at Woodland because he had had a couple of really good finishes. You know, I think he had a couple of top tens over the last month. And I figured, well, he's going to turn it on at Augusta. Maybe, you know, I know he didn't historically play well there, but I figured, ah, let's, let's go with the hotter guys. And it backfired, totally backfired on me. All right, Shoffley, uh, disaster. Uh, disaster. Joaquin Neiman was in there. The first day, you were looking okay, Jack and Jimmy. You're, 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 you're one of those, uh, you know. I'm one of those 20 to 1, Horses that pops the gate, yeah. yeah. Pops the gate yeah. and then fades. Yeah, unbelievable. Hamstrings. But, yeah. Don't let it bother you, though. See, I, I don't feel that badly about it because uh, you see how treacherous this is. I'm you have the seven list. I mean, I'm demoralized. I mean, <laughs> you have to make for three good nights. choices. You can't yeah. be demoralized. You'll be fine. Couldn't sleep for three nights <laughs> looking at these picks. The slightest the change in thinking, sheet, though. Every yeah. time I looked at it. Well, yeah, I mean, it got cuffed up pretty bad. I mean, now, now think about this, though, too. If you had Tiger Woods and he makes the cut, you're thinking, wow, man, brilliant pick there. And then he did you uh, just a disservice by making the cut because if he missed the cut, you would have uh, only had Better to take off. three shots each day, and yeah. instead he went six over both days. So uh, exactly. what, what did you make of the whole Tiger Woods uh, picture? I was very surprised, and I applaud CBS for uh, refraining from doing this, but I thought when I tuned in late yesterday afternoon just to see if there was anything happening, I happened to catch like uh, those guys coming off 11, the last group, and, and then I watched it off and on from that point. But uh, I, uh, I thought they would certainly have like Tiger Woods – you know, shots are being replayed. Well, here he was on 13 today. Yeah. I tell you what, the old Del Tigre just didn't quite have it today. As he shanked this one into ignoring, the woods. Ignoring Sheffler, uh, Smith. Yeah, but but they did refrain. They, they showed a little restraint there. They didn't have Tiger featured 
uh, along any of the, uh, you know, finale uh, type holes that uh, took place there from like 10 on anyway, when I was tuned in. I thought they handled it great. You know, when Tiger was on, he, he was the story because the tournament really uh, set itself up not to have 10 or 12 guys, you know, challenging for the lead. So why not cover? It was perfect with the tee times because you got to watch Tiger. If you were watching on the Masters app, you could watch Tiger the whole way through if you wanted to. And they had him part of one of three or four feature groups. I think um, Billy Horschel and and uh, maybe who was he playing with Hovland or somebody. It, it was it was good. It was it was yeah. nice to see those guys. And then once Tiger ceremoniously finished and and get gets off and he's done, you kind of went back to the tournament. And I thought CBS did a great job. What I thought about Tiger, it was phenomenal how he could, you know, be able to make the cut number one after not playing competitive golf in almost close to two years, and, and not only make the cut, but hit shots, um, you know, that other guys that have been playing, you know, nonstop over that period of time struggled with. And, you know, everybody was going to have their hiccups on the greens at Augusta because that's what normally happens unless you're one of the top three or four guys that week. But I, I thought Tiger was was sensational, the way he hit the ball, the way he was able to endure the walking part of, you know, the challenge, which was going to be probably tougher than golf uh, physically on him. I, I thought he, he sets himself up to play probably three or four times this year. And then you never know what happens, you know, in the future, if he gets a little bit healthier and, and he feels a little bit better. And I think that that calendar will stretch out for him. Oh, it was uh, pretty remarkable. First couple of days, uh, you know, the CBS executives are very happy. Did, did you buy into our uh, theory that and we floated this out there earlier this morning, John, while you were involved in other endeavors. But that CBS had requested after Saturday that they make the hole bigger when Tiger was playing. <laughs> that he was allowed to have a, a circumference there of you know, say like six feet all the way around, and all of a sudden it would look like Joel Embiid was playing a dunk. <laughs> And, and, and you wouldn't be able to miss pretty much from anywhere on the green. I mean, uh, and then on top of that, that there would be a vacuum suction uh, <laughs> created underneath the cup so that all of Tiger's putts would go in. 36 putts there on Saturday. Otherwise, I mean, he, he has himself another big round. No, he, he set him. So he hit the ball, I mean, just about as well as, as guys that weren't challenging in the top 10 or 12, let's say that way. Uh, his, his action looked good. I mean, his, his gait would, would get better when he was playing a little bit, you know, uh, more, more on the positive side. And it seemed like, you know, when he was going downhills, it, it felt like he was hurting a little bit more. And, and that place has so much undulation from tee to green and, and green back to the tee boxes. Um, it, it was, it's, it's a tough walk. Even, you know, the patrons walking around, you know, you see those guys struggling to get up 18 as they're walking up the crest of it or down nine or down 10, you know, imagine if you had such a horrific car accident, you had so much surgery on that, on that leg. And you're at one point, not sure if you're going to be able to have that, save that leg. And now 17 or 18 months later, he's, he's playing in the tournament, makes the cut and is able to, you know, accomplish his goal playing all four rounds. You know, maybe he, the score didn't indicate where he wanted to be mentally, but physically, he was able to endure that. And I think that was probably the biggest challenge uh, of the entire week leading up to the Masters for Tiger. Make the cut, get through four rounds, see how you feel, evaluate. And it sounded like afterwards when he was talking to the um, 
European press. I don't know if it was BBC or, or was Sky News or something. He committed to, you know, playing in, in the Open Championship at the old course, his favorite course. So, uh, you know, that ratings will jump through the roof oh, as well. Yeah. Oh, no doubt, man. I mean, uh, as we said, Tiger passes gas and uh, whatever restaurant he ate, that gets credit for it. And everybody flocks there. <laughs> it's incredible. The influence that this guy has. Uh, no, it, it was, uh, you know, good to see. And, uh, you know, the, the Open coming up, I mean, uh, he, he always uh, was very prominent there because, uh, you know, what's great about uh, the British Open. Uh, I, I'm still, you know, a little reluctant to just concede that it is the Open. And it kind of, I don't know, does that diminish the uh, level of quality of the U.S. Open? That this is like the Open and you're supposed to know it's that crazy thing in uh, Great Britain where, uh, you know, nothing but rain and fog and cold. Now, now, I would imagine, John Kajemi, being the uh, accomplished golfer that you are, that you've probably played, Danny Boy, maybe a free trip to Ireland or something. Ha have you played on any of these European Lynx courses? Never got to play in Scotland, what? but went to Ireland one oh, okay. time. Yeah, went right. to Ireland one time uh, and had a great time. I mean, it was totally different than what we see here uh, in the States. Although you could probably go to Whistling Straits, uh, in in was uh, out, out west and yeah, abandoned uh, dunes. Nah, uh, yeah. you could go to those places and, and that whistling strange is for a crazy man. That course is a joke. <laughs> How they, they ever had a major tournament there? They love that beyond comprehension. Yeah, yeah. but those are the two places I think in, in the United States that really complement what they can create by nature in Scotland or Ireland. I mean, it's it's def it's different. The wind's always howling. You have to be heavily medicated to go out and play uh, because and, and especially you know, to be in a gallery i mean yeah. uh, th those people look very pasty to me uh, you know is they, everybody they, I, over in europe like that pasty looking even in the summertime when this thing is being played because uh, <laughs> i don't know it's like they haven't, haven't seen the sun there. in their lifetime the sun didn't shine all that much yeah. when we were there we had one or two you know quote unquote nice days which were you know it wasn't raining you know like sideways in your face and the wind wasn't blowing 40 miles an hour. You do occasionally get a beautiful day, but if you're there for six or seven days, you're going to get uh, a day where you wouldn't, you know, walk your, your neighbor's dog that you hate outside, yeah. you know, to, to do anything. It, it's brutal. It's on one of those days where, uh, you know, the news department sends a sports guy out into the middle of the yeah. storm, yes. you know, to, to go ahead and uh, tell everybody that it's not safe on the beach, you know, and a jellyfish right. are flying by his head. Uh, <laughs> uh, you were more likely to see Tiger Woods at Boomers in, uh, you know, in uh, Boca uh, playing uh, on the uh, windmill hole with his son than you were to see him in the first couple of rounds of the Masters. At least uh, that that's the way it appeared. So. Uh, that was pretty phenomenal. And, and I love the open because uh, a shank is a good shot. Yeah. Like a, a shot that you would normally be embarrassed, like like you skull a drive, and it never gets more than four feet off the ground. And, and it just, like, blazes a trail out there. But it'll roll forever, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're in pretty good shape. And, and then the other thing is those bunkers, which uh, you need a rope ladder to climb out of. I mean, that's insane. So... That's going to be, I mean, imagine uh, Tiger puts one in the sand. Because uh, Luby had him, he said he looked in that final round uh, like, uh, you remember the show Ironside with Raymond Burr? <laughs> yeah. He was like a detective. In a, he looked yeah. like Peyton Manning going out there for that last Super People Bowl. He said he was with, laboring. With Broncos. Yeah. I didn't he see was it. Laboring. People said he was laboring. That's what I yeah. read throughout different social media platforms. Yeah, the right, longer it went on, it seemed like the, the more on, on Sunday that he had – 
a little bit more of a you know visible limp or his gait wasn't you know exactly yeah, like the way it was it, exactly. maybe the first couple days yeah <laughs> look like buddy ebsen out there <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, no, I mean, uh, yeah, he, he definitely looked like he was aging, uh, you know, a little bit throughout the tournament, although he seemed very gracious, a uh, whole different Tiger. I, I, yeah. I thought, you know, maybe he even shows up in the boot there and does the last six holes with Nance. Can you imagine? I couldn't see him and Faldo doing that. I, I don't know. That would have been tough. <laughs> that, that would have been tough. How cool would that have been? Uh, that would have been nice, uh, right? Uh, and, and, you know, uh, Tiger Woods uh, coming in and telling you, okay, here's what Scheffler needs to do. That That would have been... Oh, I thought that one of the cool things, too, guys, was when they interviewed John Rahm, who Tiger played with on Sunday. Yeah. He said, for me. Well, I never want to see again either, by the way, because yeah, I, I, I took him over Scheffler. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I, I was thinking that, Thief, all weekend. You were talking about that on uh, uh, last Wednesday. So and, stupid. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, John Rahm, what he was talking about was he felt like a fan who actually got to play in the tournament because nobody gave. Any, no one cared where John Rahm hit it. All yeah. on Tiger for 18 holes. Yeah. So he was like, you know what? I got to play. I played pretty well. I got to watch Tiger, and I got to enjoy it as a fan as well because I was, you know, watching his every move, just like you know all the fans were, and you know every hole cheering for him. You were kind of rooting for the guy to hit good shots and make putts and make birdies to, you know, kind of celebrate. Uh, him coming back at the Masters, you know, the, a great venue success rate for him, five Masters championships. So it, it was cool to, to see and hear through John Rahm's eyes what the fans were seeing as well. Yeah, there weren't many people, I don't think, that were looking for uh, Tiger's caddy to uh, also be employing scuba gear. <laughs> to help find some of his shots because, uh, no, I mean, he, he acquitted himself very well. I mean, certainly uh, he didn't have anything to prove to anybody. The uh, guy's a great golfer, but uh, had he shot those 278s, I guess, in the first couple of rounds, everybody would have written him off. So, yeah. uh, you know, and that would have been unfortunate. And mm -hmm. it will create a lot of excitement uh, when, when he goes and if he indeed does go on to play uh, in the open. All right. Uh, th that was great. Uh, th there's a tragic story in football. I want to touch on with you also with John and Jimmy and then many other things to discuss here on the program. So uh, we will get to all of that as we uh, go Dateline Dolphins with John and Jimmy. Uh, but I mean, you know, and if you were looking for something spectacular to do and uh, I heard people talking about this now because a lot of people are coming around to the idea that uh, it's almost a must stop. That uh, remember south of the border? I don't know. Did you? Yeah, uh, I do. I remember that. Yeah. Right, right. And you had to stop there because you'd seen like eight hundred signs, billboards for Pedro. That's right. And Pedro says do this, and he says do that, and then so you go in there, and the place actually sucked. You would get a pecan log that you would never eat in a million years, unless you went to south of the border, get ripped off on some gas, and hope the cops didn't stop you for going uh, twelve miles an hour <laughs> over the speed limit. And it, yeah. All of a sudden, what became a ten mile an hour zone? But uh, Jimmy Johnson's big chill is is a must stop at mile marker 104 there uh, on the overseas highway in Key Largo. It is. You know, a lot of, of friends of mine that are asking me about what's going on with Jimmy Johnson's big chill. And I said, listen, well, if you're going to Isla Mirada, you might as well just stop Randomly. off at Jimmy Johnson's yep. big chill yeah. and grab a pizza, or grab something to eat or go have a drink at the Tiki Bar and, you know, kind of take a look at the place because you're going to, once you get there, you're going to want to stop on the way back too if your destination sure. is further south than mile marker 104. I said the food's outstanding, the views are perfect, and the service is out, you know, second to none in, in that upper keys or all of the keys. Uh, so, you know, Jimmy Johnson's Big Chill, it's where 
we like to you know stop if we're going down there but i i like to see my brother dom and see him in his element because he's got you know 10,000 people going in 10 different directions and uh people are just uh, smiles on their faces when they get there uh even happier uh when, when they get their service and their food and their drinks and, and get to enjoy uh, the the scenery down at jimmy johnson's big chill Forget about Alabama Jacks, man. I mean, uh, that whole Cardstown Road thing, man. Just straight down. Jimmy Johnson's big chill. Yes, sir. Uh, you're going to get, you know, I mean, uh, it's great to be known for some concreters, but uh, that Jimmy Johnson's big chill, all the food is absolutely Anything. dynamite. That's yeah, right. yeah, great atmosphere, great. great place to hang. You know, the problem is you may not get to your next destination because you're going to fall in <laughs> love with Jimmy Johnson's big chill. That's and right. then you're thinking, uh, all right, well, if I can't get one of the uh, great uh, townhouses that they have available here, uh, which uh, they do have uh, limited accommodations, but they're brilliant. I mean, as elegant as you're ever going to find. I mean, it makes the Ritz-Carlton look like a Motel 6, uh, the rooms <laughs> that they have there for it. It really does. Uh, that's, it does. That's not even an exaggeration. Uh, you know, you might not get down Isla Mirada because you're just going to say, hey, what, what the hell do I need to go any further for? I found my spot right here. It's absolutely fantastic. Jimmy Johnson's Big Chill, mile marker 104, the overseas highway. And guess what, John Jimmy? You'll love this. What's up? There has been a Tommy Fox sighting. Oh, oh nice. Oh, that's nice. Nice. He has surfaced from his, uh, you know, world of stocks and bonds and uh, says that uh, something's happening down there. Jimmy Johnson's big chill. So we're looking forward to that as well. All right. More with John Kajemi. Uh, we'll get into some football. Uh, Dateline Dolphins here with John Kajemi. I'm Jeff DeForest. He is Mike Luby Lubitz here on Ion Channel. Happy to be here. Google the Defoe Show. Uh, you can also catch. Uh, we usually feature your segment on our five reasons uh, rebroadcast of a portion of the program uh, on uh, Ethan Skolnick's thing. And, and it's always, uh, it knocks it out of the park well. in terms of viewers, John. You'll be happy well. to know. You're one popular guy. And, and back with that gentleman in a moment. Now that. The time. It's 829. Hey, folks. Tony Segreto here. Let me ask you a question. What do you look for when you go out to eat? Good food, obviously, friendly atmosphere, not too loud, but good energy, reasonable prices, and a place where you feel comfortable. You're talking about the Texas Roadhouse. Good for a family, good for a date, or just a night out for yourself, and prices that will make you extremely happy. Their ribs unmatched. Steaks, hand cut every day. Everything, and I mean everything, is made on site, including their incredible bread. Trust me when I tell you, Texas Roadhouse, your restaurant, your destination, when you say, where should we go and eat tonight? From the newly renovated sports bar to the beautiful bayside views captured at the Tiki Bar, Jimmy Johnson's Big Chill has it all. Located at mile marker 104, the Big Chill also offers waterfront dining while experiencing breathtaking sunset views of the Florida Keys. It's simply the hottest spot in the Keys to cool off. That's Jimmy Johnson's Big Chill at mile marker 104 in Key Largo. For more information, call today at 305 453-9066. Any time of year, things can happen to your home or business. And the insurance company can be your friend, but they also can be your enemy. Verizon Public Adjusters, Justina Testa, are here for you to help this process go so much easier. Seven to ten times more money recovered with a public adjuster than if you went on your own. If there's no recovery, there's no fee for you call your insurance company, call Horizon Public Adjusters and Justina Testa at 954-809-8752. Stateline Dolphins with John Kajemi, and that's brought to you by Jimmy Johnson's Big Chill. 
in the Keys, and we're looking very much forward to doing some broadcasts there. I think we're going to head down there like once a month during the football season. I have to ask you this, on you know, and feel free to, you know, not necessarily spill the beans uh, from a personal standpoint to your good friend Dan Marino. Does he experience or did he ever experience nightmares about handing the ball off to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that one year when Jimmy <laughs> insisted on running the ball on every play? And uh, it, it was always, I mean, uh, the announcer, I think it was Ron St. John was a stadium announcer back then, and you could hear him say, hand off to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, gain of one, second and nine. Hand off to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, gain of one, third and eight. Can <laughs> he ever talk about that? Remember no, he's never days. really talked about that, Defoe, but you're right. I think they did have that on loop at whatever the stadium was called at the yeah. time. It was one yard every time, and it was a generous one yard they were giving them statistically. Enjoy your trip to work with lots of laughs, thanks to Defo and Luby. Now on the Defo Show. Probably get slapped for this, but uh, Stevie Wonder saw more daylight than Kareem Abdul-Jabbar <laughs> when he was trying to run for that one yard. I mean, it was great, too, because he would get tackled at the line of scrimmage. And then, you know, just by the nature of falling forward, he uh, would get credit for the one yard. Welcome back to the show. <laughs> Defo show here on Ion Channel. And uh, we've got Mike uh, Luby Lubitz there in box number one. And then the handsome one, uh, the easy one to pick out, uh, is John Kajemi, uh, who uh, joins us for uh, Dateline Dolphins. Uh, all right. Uh, so... I saw a post uh, on, uh, I think I, when I woke up on Saturday, I, I see a thing on Facebook somebody had put up, big Steeler fan that we know, uh, the lovely cat. And uh, she's uh, paying tribute to Dwayne Haskins. And uh, I'm thinking, Dwayne Haskins, what happened to Dwayne Haskins? So, uh, you know, I mean, uh, we find out that, that he passed away, that, that he was hit by a, a dump truck on uh, 595 early in the morning, and then I get a text from a friend of mine, Southern Brian, and he says that he was driving to the airport or either was leaving or coming, and uh, I'm not sure because it sounded like this happened west of 95. So uh, if he was headed for the airport, and this is a Pittsburgh story now also, uh, John Kajemi, but uh, the uh, accident, I mean, you can't imagine. What was this guy doing walking on the highway? Uh, Somebody speculated that he had a plane out of here to go to Pittsburgh. Uh, he was training down here uh, with some guys from the Steelers and uh, for whatever reason was going to fly back. Uh, it, it seems odd that you would be on foot on 595 at any time. I guess, you know, your your car could have broken down and, and you know, maybe you didn't have a cell phone or you, you were waiting around and thinking nobody's going to come, so I'm going to try and walk somewhere, which would not be a good move, obviously. Uh, but but what would have a guy? I mean, you're, you're thinking of some guy wa- wandering around with Alzheimer's or, you know, some uh, person that, uh, you know, just had lost their mind on drugs. And th- this was a very well-grounded individual. And, and I suppose we may never know that answer, what he was doing there. But uh, what, what, what was your reaction? Because my friend texted me that he drove by this thing and saw, like, the body on the highway. And I thought, oh, my God, this poor guy is like 24 years 24, old. What yeah. the heck? What happened there? I mean, a yeah. very mysterious story. Totally shocked and surprised. Uh, I got, you know, the alert comes on your phone and you read what, what happened and you're kind of, you know, scratching your head going, how could he be walking on 595, you know, yeah. first of all? So I guess we're going to have to wait and see, you know, when the reports come out. But immediately I thought, you know, okay, maybe his car broke down. But if he if his car broke down, you, you where was it? You, where was the car? I yeah, mean, yeah. I, I don't know. And and if, if it did, why wouldn't you just call one of your friends that you've been with, you know, for the past, I don't know, week working out down here? Say, hey, I'm 
I'm, I'm here on 595 next to 95 or wherever that location is. And I need some help. And I'm just going to kind of, you know, try to get to a spot and not kind of walking across, I guess, uh, lanes of traffic to, to get to where you're going. So tra- tragic situation, young kid, uh, just, uh, couldn't could not even fathom that you know i still have goosebumps when i looked down at my phone and i saw that i was like how how why you know you you ask yourself all these questions but uh, your heart goes out to his family and his loved ones that he leaves behind and it just uh it seemed like a a situation that could have you know th- that's a one in you know what what one million chance oh God, of yeah. something like that happening but it happened to him unfortunately and and he passes away which was a, a tragedy in itself yeah, and I'm confused a little bit as to the location because, uh, you know, it, it sounded to me like this happened west uh, of I-95, which uh, for the unfamiliar with the area here, uh, you know, uh, the airport obviously is east uh, of 95. So you're wondering what, what would he be doing there? Now, if I mean, toward nobody him. could have driven him to this point, he said, hey, wait, wait, the airport's the other way. Uh, I got to get out. No, no. Uh, you would have thought if he was driving himself to the airport uh, that uh, there, there would have been a car nearby the accident scene uh, or somewhere, you know, they, they would have found one no matter how far he had walked. Uh, and, you know, nobody just walks onto a highway, right? I mean, no, have you ever found yourself inclined to go, hey, look, there's the entrance ramp to 95. I think I'll just walk up there no, and, no. Uh, you know, take a jog. I mean, uh, no, nobody's walking on the highway here. No. Yeah, obviously no, no one really knows. And, and the report hasn't come out yet, you know, from the police to tell us exactly what their investigation found. Uh, it, it's hard. It's hard to put pieces together of the puzzle of how he got there, why he left, you know, wherever he broke down from or was dropped off from or however that situation falls falls out. And then how he ended up on the highway, you know, trying to get to, I guess, the airport. So until until that official report and investigation comes out, we're not going to know exactly how to piece it together. But the most important thing is that, you know, you kind of embrace that situation of, in terms of how tragic it is and, and, and how sorry you you feel for the the people that were close to Dwayne and and his family. And, and obviously for him, just that, you know, he had his whole life ahead of him and, seemed to be in a good spot in Pittsburgh where he was embraced by his team, his coaching staff. And, and that's why they were, he was down here, you know, to work out with his, his teammates, his receivers, his fellow quarterbacks, and to kind of get that off season uh, preparation. in. so when training camp comes that he's prepared to, to do his job and he's never going to get that opportunity because of, you know, what transpired over the weekend. I mean, I I wouldn't have ruled it out. It's funny how quick we are to condemn uh, a, a sports figure. And, you know, and there was a lot of flack because uh, it was alluded to by Adam Schefter in a tweet in reporting this uh, that, uh, well, he didn't have the most stellar of pro careers going because the Redskins had, uh, you know, given up on him after uh, taking him uh, with the 15th overall pick. And that uh, I, I don't know. I, I thought he like like you said, he, he might have had a shot to, you know, improve uh, as a Steeler. But, but the, the weird thing I take from that, instead of, like, condemning Schefter, I mean, obviously uh, it was an insensitive thing to uh, say, well, the guy was half a bust. I mean, is that all we want to remember about a 24-year-old uh, guy who we know guy, because yeah. of his heroics as a college football player or his outstanding performance? And, uh, you know, it, uh, unfortunately his pro career didn't exactly, like, take right off. But, you know, it's possible he could, he could have uh, easily improved or maybe he would have been just a, an average to, uh, you know, 
sort of secondary consideration as a quarterback in the league. But but we forget that the guy's a person. And, and you know, that, that created a, a lot of flack for not only Schefter, but uh, also Gil Brandt, who uh, maybe you could throw into is Gil Brandt uh, just uh, you know get a pass old. on senility? He's super old. Because uh, I mean, what, what he had to say, I don't know if you caught the comments there, was that uh, well, geez, this might not have happened if he had stayed in school like I recommended because he wasn't really go- ready to go to the pros. As if uh, you know, he went out there and uh, deliberately got himself hit by a truck. Oh, he's ninety. Gil he Brandt's actually ninety years old. 90. Yeah. Okay. And he's tweeting. But, I, I, you know, it's weird. I, you know, I, I, what, what did you make of all of that? Because, um, you know, the, the thing that I took away from it was, uh, wow, we're just so quick to put a label on somebody that's involved in sports. And even if it's true, it, it's kind of weird to judge a guy's life and uh, what he was as a person just by the fact that maybe he didn't satisfy your desires, to, you know, to fill the quarterback needs of the Washington Redskins. Yeah, I think people lose sight of the sensitivity to what really occurred and they jump right to they, they, they jump over a couple of paragraphs to get to the meat of the story of what they want to say instead of just reporting on what actually happened. I mean, there was no need to know about anything else about about the accident and, and, and Dwayne Haskins passing other than reporting on you know, that he had got into an accident, hit by a dump truck. He, he you know, he's uh, fatally, you know, killed on, on a highway in South Florida. A mind-blowing really story, don't yeah. Need, you really don't need anything else about, you know, his grade school, his high school, his, yeah, like his college career. His, you know, you, you can kind of, you know, say where he was at and what happened. And, and there's always time for people to go in, in any direction, you know, a month or two after or when you get the official police report, but now you're just reporting on what actually happened. And I, I, I think our society kind of takes us there because they need to break the story. They need yep. to be first with yep. this. They need to make a name for themselves to justify what they're doing in terms of nobody really cares at the end of the day. You're just trying to figure out why it happened, how it happened. And, and that's what the story is, I think. So, yeah, maybe uh, criticism was well-deserved of Schefter for uh, deciding. Uh, it was just weird. Yeah, let me just stick in here on a guy's, uh, you know, gravestone that he was a bust by my uh, standards uh, in the National Football League. Uh, you know, very unfortunate. He took the thing down. I I, I believe Schefter to be uh, a sensitive uh, human being because of the story I saw. We were talking about it earlier on HBO Real Sports where he and the uh, reporter, John Frankel, who's on Real Sports and was a Palm Beach guy here for a while as a sportscaster, Um, both share, uh, you know, the the odd distinction of having married women uh, that lost their husbands in the 9-11 attack. And, 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 you know, I I saw Schefter there in a different light. I mean, and the guy, you know, he works his ass off there for ESPN to try and keep up with all these other sharks. Have you ever thought about going into the insider business? Never. John Kajemi. Because you are kind of our, you're our dolphin insider. I mean, you know what's going on there. You work around them. Never. No, I I never. No, absolutely (laughs) not. I just want to watch the sports, watch, watch football, watch whatever sport we're talking about analyze it, talk about it, dissect it, but never wanted to be the guy, you know, who was out, you know, crawling around the streets for for information to dig up the dirt so I could be first at something because the guys that normally are first, some, some guys like myself or others, they might already know the story, but they're suppressing it because they don't either want to make somebody look bad or, or make somebody, 
uh, come out in a different light. Let let other people do it because I, I sometimes I sometimes don't look as highly on people when you take information and you turn it uh, to something that you know you want to craft it to, to the way you feel like it should be presented. But in reality, the story is close to that. But you've added a, a few paragraphs just to make it a little bit more eye enticing to the to the viewer. All right. Maybe besides like members of his immediate family, uh, wife and uh, kids, uh, nobody has a more direct pipeline. And that being said <clears throat> to Dan Marino, the new John Contremi, which is another reason that we figure that you probably have this stuff long before anybody else. So uh, I'm not, flipping not, channels last night. Not yes. all of it. Not all of it in, in terms of people or circle of friends. But that that's that trust you have with, with people. I mean, yeah. you're you're at a golf tournament and you're with 10 Hall of Famers. And everybody's having a good time. I'm not going to be in the corner. Wow. So-and-so did this and so-and-so did that. That's not my business, nah. but other people want to know and they, they try to befriend you to get that information. And that's where you get into that gray area where you don't want to be, or well, at least I, I don't want to yeah. be. I'm a big fan of CBS news. Uh, that, that's my uh, preferred news uh, because of my uh, admiration on the national level of the great Scott Pelley, who uh, now is just, uh, on uh, 60 Minutes and Special Projects, and uh, brilliant again last night with his interview with uh, Zelensky, which, uh, you know, I mean, who's walking in there in the first place, right? Yeah. Uh, guns and this and that. I mean, uh, you know, a great, great job. But so so I'm flipping around, and, uh, and there's Jim Barry, and I didn't get to see this piece because uh, I got involved in uh, doing something else. But uh, nonetheless, I mean, there's Danny. Dan Marino, the great Dan Marino, with his arm around Tua, Tua yep. John Kajami. And uh, so we need to know from our uh, Dolphin Insider, what's going on there? I don't uh, know. I mean, I mean he, I think Tua had an event. Tua had like a major event for Boys and Girls Rock. Club. Yeah. What is he oh, telling okay. Tua? What, what is he saying? What's going on? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't is see... this going to be the year? I, I think I, I, I just want to have that feeling. I really do. I hope Danny's cutting off his right arm and he's sewing it to Tua's left side and <laughs> he can, you know, get the ball downfield. How's that? Uh, so I don't know. I, Could Danny I know still throw for 60,000 yards? I mean, uh, you know, a season if he was around today, it would be unbelievable, wouldn't it? Well, I think Dan and a couple others could do it with the rules today. You know, it was tough uh, in the 80s and the 90s with the different rule changes and, and guys, uh, you know, knocking out wide receivers across the middle and, and knocking quarterbacks down, you know, with three steps after he's thrown the football with no call. Um, I, I think there's a lot of changes that are helping, uh, you know, athletes and helping, you know, different positions on the field excel a different in a different way. That's making these numbers a little bit elevated than what they what they would have been back then. Oh, defensive banks uh, with uh, Can't do anything. Uh, Clayton and Duper. I mean, uh, they were practically, uh, you know, making moves that you would see only on Dancing with the Stars. I mean, <laughs> just holding on to the guy uh, the entire time. And uh, I, I think Danny uh, believes this in his heart of hearts that he would throw for 6,000 yards a season if uh, if he was in the league today. Uh, with the, oh, uh, I'm sure he North. does. I'm, I'm sure a couple of guys, you know, feel that way. But, you know, the game has changed in a good way, protecting the quarterbacks, protecting the wideouts. I think it's harder on the on the de- defense in terms of covering these guys that have, you know, elite track speed where you, you used to be able to get your hands on them at the line of scrimmage and ride them for five or eight yards. And, you know, somebody's clotheslining somebody across the middle, they get a 15-yard penalty, no big deal, but that guy's out of the game. And, and now you have one less headache to worry about. Or, you know, you're not trying to knock a quarterback out, so you not only hit him late, but you land on him with 340 pounds and you're separating his shoulder and he's out for, you know, six or seven weeks those types of injuries really don't happen. 
Uh, you know, you can't get at their legs. You can't get at the, can't touch the helmet as the a Brady rules. All the Brady yards. rules. So yeah. a lot of things have changed to to help the game, but it's made it different and it's made it a lot easier on offense. Would, would uh, Dan Marino have benefited if they were making the? I, I guess they couldn't do it because they would have considered it like another Shula bias when it came to uh, making the rules in the National Football League. But he he would have benefited greatly from the Brady rules, would he not? Dan Marino, where uh, oh, you know if yeah. you fumbled the ball, they ruled it no fumble. If they had a ball picked <laughs> off, there was some reason that they had to automatically blow the play dead. And uh, you know, uh, come up with a new rule to protect the man. Uh, it would have been great. All, all right, uh, let's let's get out uh, a new uh, instrument here, uh, a measuring stick, a barometer here uh, on the show, uh, the beliefometer, if you will. All right, so uh, and we have to go around the horn on this thing because um, I I, I want to believe, and I don't know that I'm convinced yet, and I don't really want to be like reluctant to embrace this idea, uh, but I believe that Tua is going to show like marked improvement this year. As uh, a very efficient operator, and not not necessarily like a game manager, but but a very efficiently operating catalyst in this Mike McDaniel offense. But with the elements that he has in place, I think he's going to succeed. So I want to say I'm hitting the beliefometer at about an eight. Hmm. Wow, I go high on that. An eight. So uh, now, Luby, you tend to be seven. very, uh, you know, cynical, <laughs> pessimistic. Yeah, you know you love Tua, though, you so we Tua. have to qualify that. I mean, you're a biased juror here. Uh, where do you stand on a scale of zero to ten? Are you pinning it into the round on the beliefometer when it comes to Tua coming up this year? Well, you freaked me out because I was going to say seven, but I was probably already at a seven. And all I've done is defend the crap out of him this entire offseason when people say yeah. stupid stuff, not looking at the actual stats or reality, just looking at three highlights from Patrick Mahomes. So if you're at eighth, and I'm probably at a nine, because nine. Where, wow. where, well, where people think these moves suited the big-arm quarterback, they're actually wrong. Tyreek Hill, of his 111 catches, again, I've said this statistic, only, I think, like 15 or 18 traveled in the air 20-plus yards. So meaning the other 90... We're all literally where Tua is as good as anyone in the league. Like, whatever you want to say about Tua, no one questions his accuracy, his timeliness, and his pocket awareness. Again, he was the most pressured of any quarterback in the league and top three least sacked. So just think, if he has time and how his actual weapons, which he didn't, he, his receivers were top three in drops and games missed and, like, all these things that he won't have this year because he'll play as long as he's not a dumbass off the field, which you do have to consider with him. He plays. Like, he's on the field. Waddle plays. He's on the field. Gesicki actually, even though he can be inconsistent, plays. He's on the field. Like, now they have real running backs that are good as pass catchers. Like, they have everything that sh- people made fun of Tua because he had a lot of talent at Alabama. That's what he has now. So, isn't that what he's great at is playing with talent, orchestrating an offense? So, I mean, if you're at an eight and you were very eh about Tua, then I have to be at a nine. Like, I'm at a nine. I really believe this wow. year he's going to entrench himself as a top 15 to a top 10 quarterback. Well, All right. Looking, what do you think? Those looking, are high numbers. Very high, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I I agree with you guys. Uh, if oh, we're looking great. at the, the improvement of the quarterback play, which only had to get, you know, a little bit better. I, I think it was more consistency than anything. You know, we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago when the Dolphins went through that bad stretch last season. It was because Tua kind of fell off. You know, you you can't run the football. You get a little pressure. You throw it a little inconsistent, and it turns not only into an incompletion, but it's an interception going the other way. 
those things seem to deflate offenses, the football teams, and it carries over into other things. And that's why you lose five, six, seven games in a row when you continue to make those mistakes. Now you bring in a head coach and you bring in uh, free agents that are going to improve the positions of weakness. It can only elevate what Tua is going to do on offense, at least on paper. When you look at this team on paper, you say, is it better? Is it, is it as good as it's been under Brian Flores over the past three seasons? Absolutely. You've got better on the offensive line. You've got better at wide receiver. You've got better at quarterback. You've retained and re-signed a tight end, a defensive uh, a pass rusher. You, you, you get a couple of guys that are in the secondary that are as good in tandem as anybody in the league. You have young safeties. You've got athletic linebackers. You've got at linebackers that are run stuffers. So when you look at the team around Tua, which is what we're we're saying, you know, can he elevate his play? Absolutely. I think it, it sets up as good for a quarterback in, in any of those powerhouse teams in the AFC, you know, with all the quarterbacks moving from the NFC to the AFC, you needed to stockpile, you know, your your weaknesses and improve those weaknesses. They were glaring and they did that. So my meter's up close to eight, nine. I mean, it can even go pin it to the wall because giving it a chance. My heart be still. He's got a yeah. chance now. He's got a chance, as Luby said, to kind of morph into what he did at Alabama. It's get the ball out quick, be accurate, don't turn it over, and, and let your playmakers do the work for you. So he's good at that, and he's very good at that. And he's shown that as not only as a collegiate but as a pro. His accuracy is high. Um his percentage is good. The lack of, of, of turning the football over within the pocket and being able to escape, not getting the ball stripped, uh, th- those things are good. And if he continues at a high level with this new offense, that's going to be suited to run the football as well as get to I- accentuate the things he does well. I, I, see, I see no weakness on paper. It's got to you know, trans- transfer itself to the field, and we'll see that in OTAs. We'll see that at training camp see it in preseason, but most importantly, you hope it carries over into a very difficult schedule for the Dolphins in the AFC because every time I look and I'm trying to put teams in the playoffs, I get over eight easy. Oh, I get yeah, to nine, 10, 11, <laughs> yeah. and then you're trying to figure out who to take out. Yeah. All right, Livia, number one, uh, save this or have Amy store this somewhere in the archives and, and then uh, when we all look like bozos midway through the season. <laughs> We can bring this up and well, we're, uh, you know, remind we're people talking, that they're, yeah, we're accountable we're, we're for what we're talking we're about yeah. the chance of where he was on, in this team compared to what they've stockpiled now. You have to say Man. his chances, you know, they were five of 10 over the last two years. They've got to be at least, you know, seven in a hook to nine in a hook somewhere in there. It had to improve for him to excel at, at quarterback. How can we could go out there and be fives? Tua's got to, you know, raise you could. level. I mean, you could probably be like to go six, to, you maybe. know, eight, nine, and, and <laughs> yeah. potentially higher. Luby throwing a rock. I'm not going oh, five, Chuck. No. I mean, <laughs> and me, I have, I, I never was very good at passing a football, no. even though I was decent at uh, most sports. But uh, quarterbacking was not, not going to be my thing. Had the mind for it, maybe, but uh, not the arm. Uh, a couple of things struck me though while, while well, you were. Well, you know uh, what? Everybody yeah. has their strong suits, Defo. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no doubt. Uh, all right, Luby, you have some, but I, I did want to say uh, when you were, uh, you know, addressing this, uh, I'm thinking, uh, you know, Brian Flores seemed to hate his own offense for some reason. <laughs> I, I just got the feeling that 
Right. He always had like two offensive coordinators. And uh, then the next year he would, you know, come in and say, yeah, fire those guys. They're bozos. And they bring in two more. And he just seemed to be. And the surprising thing is, and I heard the stat, I guess it to be, you know, somewhat accurate that uh, the Dolphins were among the higher scoring teams in the league, even though we thought their offense sucked. So um, th- this can only be good. And, and then you also know this, John, that, that you don't need to be wide open 20 yards down the field. If you're one of these uh, playmaking speed merchants like we have in, in Waddle and Tyreek Hill, I say we know because I'm on the bandwagon, of course. But, no, um, team, yeah, like the Dolphins do. But um, you you just need this guy to, to be the slightest bit open and, and deliver the ball quickly. And that's this accentuates what the you know, uh, it takes a lot of the flaws out of to his game. And I think it accentuates what he does well, which well look, look at the receiving core that you have. You, you could go down the line and exactly what you said, you could apply that. To Mike Kosicki, you could apply that to Preston Williams. You could apply that to Waddle. You could apply that to Wilson. Yep. Now, all these guys, w- whether they're small and, and fleet of foot or they're taller guys with huge catch radius, it only needs to be close. Yep. You know, and if you've got guys crossing, you know, underneath with that type of speed and man coverage or zone and sitting down and be able to make a guy miss and take it another fifteen yards, this offense should get chunks of yardage in the passing game and if it's complemented a little bit more consistently with a run game and lack of pressure for Tua maybe maybe he doesn't have to get rid of the football as quickly and he lets things you know another half second develop he's got a chance to be even that much more uh on target ball location you know all the little things setting your feet and being able to to throw in rhythm which is very important to to Tua I believe I think he gets in trouble when he's out of rhythm in terms of his feet don't match his eyes and, and his body in, in the pocket. And that's when he doesn't doesn't have the full velocity on the football to be able to get it where he, he believes his mind can get the football. So a lot of those things are kind of you know piggyback on each other. And I think the Dolphins have improved around him so much that it's going to be better for him in all those areas. Off of this, and that's the thing with this conversation, is I actually – being such a believe high guy, I don't consider this situation. I'm going to ask you, but Defoe joked, let's say it all goes awry because you never know. Uh, and the one question with Tua that I even play into is his health. He's had health issues literally, even at Alabama. He had stuff before the hip and after the hip and his entire time here with the hip and even the ankle. And There's always something. He's a smaller guy. He is. Um, okay, let's say it goes awry. Not only the rumors, but there's actually, I've seen people say, you know, next year it's going to be Peyton and Brady. What are your thoughts? You're around the organization more than we are. What are your thoughts on this? To me, it's ridiculous, but this idea that the Miami Dolphins, the hope is to get Tom Brady at quarterback, and this is just sort of a feeling it out year, but in the end, that's where they're going to be going. I think it, it could be reality. I, I mean, he's going to be a free agent next year. Why, why wouldn't he? He's building a house in Indian, Indian Creek, Creek, and yeah. his, his wife wants to be on this side to, to raise the kids around it more uh, you know, cultural Latin. type of environment. And, and why not? If he's, if he can still play and they're going to pay him to play for maybe one or two years, you know, that window with Tyreek Hill and, and the guys that you signed, it's not very long. I mean, the, the contract goes for a long time, but until you got to pay him $43 million for one season or whatever that number is in the third year of his contract, the, the window's kind of short. So you're going to have to win and win now. So if it doesn't happen this season, uh, with two at quarterback for whatever you know injury, lack of product productivity, 
Uh, defense not as good as we think. Uh, tough division, you know, can't beat Buffalo. With all those th- scenarios, you're going to have to make a change. And you've got Teddy Bridgewater this year for an insurance policy in case things uh, go off the rails with with you know consistency or injury. You have a guy that can step in and, and probably do a very good job. But I think that's not out of the realm of possibility of having Brady come in for one or two seasons if he gets through this next season healthy and he's a free agent. Why not play in your backyard? Where you're gonna, you know, put stakes in as your as your home residence. Should be playing by then in the backyard at Indian Creek, yeah, there, right on the water uh, with the kids. I mean, you would think so. throwing <laughs> a ball to Giselle. I mean, uh, here he is at 52. Can you believe this guy? What a physical specimen! Hey, he, uh, doesn't, he doesn't play like he's 44 no, or 45, whatever he is. He doesn't. I guess play he's going to be 45 this year. He'll be 45, year. and it's annoying. <clears throat> Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know, 45, today's 45 is what? Uh, yesterday's uh, 35. So, uh, <laughs> it is with you, John Kajemi. I don't know. I mean, uh, if you ever divulge your age here on the it. program, nobody will believe it. That, that's for sure. Uh, all right. Uh, always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, it was great uh, having you on. I mean, uh, we didn't fare well, but uh, turn the page. Uh, now that you're a degenerate. Or, or hey, you have to keep have going, degenerate it. Inclinations. Definitely in the gutter, default. <laughs> Think about this. One, one bad decision or I would have finished one, two, three. In the tournament, yeah. and then I just would have needed like an average showing by uh, the other four guys, and and we're in the money for about five dimes, which would have been great. Wow! Of course, that was my personal ticket, which <laughs> neither of you guys would have shared the wealth in. Exactly. So. That's, that's, that's right. That's Victor right. Hovland, my ass is all I have to say. <laughs> Victor Hovland, my ass. That that's our uh, final uh, closing thought here on the show. John, always a pleasure, my friend. You're a great American, and. Uh, We'll see you down at Jimmy Johnson's Big Chill, uh, and uh, that's coming up. Tommy Fox working on that. Come on, Tommy. And it's always always great having you on the show, my friend. Hey, good to be with you guys. See you next week. All right, All right John and Jimmy, you. ladies and gentlemen. He came through like a champ there, uh, Luby. Got yeah. on uh, early after uh, whatever previous uh, engagement was detaining him from uh, joining us at 8 o'clock, and then uh, I knew he was into that Masters thing. It, it was tough, though, because uh, we were kind of uh, out of it right away. Uh, with a couple of guys and, uh, you know, not taking Scotty Scheffler. I mean, why don't I just... I must have felt like those CBS executives when they saw Tiger on 18, four-putting or whatever, on Saturday, and they said, nobody's going to watch tomorrow. We have a blowout and Woods is out. (laughs) Well, that was the worst combination is you had Woods done and then a a guy, he's not a random, I get he's played well, but people like me don't really know Scheffler, who was dominating. Like, if you're not going to have Woods, you needed like a really hotly contested thing. And it really yeah. was, and I know you said Smith made some moves, but Scheffler almost was wired. Like Scheffler just was dominant and consistent. Oh, when, when he plunked that one into the water on 12, I actually made a note of that. I, I also, uh, I'll get into this, uh, I guess, a little bit tomorrow. I mean, uh, you know, because as I'm looking at the results early on and it looked like I was getting buried, uh, I thought to myself, well, geez, don't they pay off for last place? Right, there's always a payment in these kind of pools uh, for the person that finishes last. They, they usually get their money back. I, I don't know if there's any like profit motive in this, but I mean, can you imagine, uh, you know, just going out of your way like, like Stephen Ross did to try and play for last place in anything, getting into this whole tanking thing? Like, like if you're in a wagering pool, I mean, is your objective to finish last and you pick all the worst guys? Because uh, I, I don't know if there was like. Let's say the entry fee was fifty bucks. I, I think it was five hundred for finishing last. <laughs> so, would you be better off just playing for that, conceding <laughs> that you know nothing about any kind of winning formula, and that the the only thing that you would be good at is aiming for rock 
bottom, Luby. What do you think? Well, what's funny is, is any, remember, any spirit in playing for last? There is in some ways, but you remind me, he continued to prove me wrong when it comes to quote-unquote tanking. Because remember, we talked about this a week ago about what about the Nets? Should the Heat be nervous about the Nets? And it's like, and you're, to your point, it's like they're going to have to play whoever at some point. Screw yeah. it. You know, worry about winning. And that's what he did. He worried about winning. They've won like seven in a row or six. Or, they lost yesterday. So they had won like, I guess, six in a row before literally playing the bench yesterday and losing to the Magic. Uh, yesterday was a throwout game. But no what question. they did was secure the number one seed. And if you notice, the Nets found their legs. The Nets are now in a bracket the Heat aren't in. And by winning, they played themselves into a better spot. If they had messed around, they would actually play themselves into the Nets. So yeah. the Heat have proven me every time the Heat show, if you win enough, you don't have to worry about that, all that other crap. It's like, why would you ever tank then? The tanking actually ends up, because again, like you've said, putting yourself in a losing mentality, even when you get the talent, what's to tell you that you're going to click it on and become a winner? You're a loser. So like, yeah. you can't just switch it like that. Ask Peyton Manning in the Indianapolis Colts. <laughs> When uh, they, they went against the Jets, right? They tanked a ball game, and uh, they deliberately exactly. put themselves in a situation. To, you know, uh, you know, they ended up with the Jets again, and and, and it cost them, right? Yep. I mean, uh, you know, they ended up losing, and uh, that that kind of built the legacy of Rex Ryan. Yeah. And of course, Mark Sanchez and Mike Tannenbaum. I mean, convinced uh, the <laughs> Dolphins, who obviously are suckers for anything, that uh, you know what? I'm the man here. Yeah, you're the man. It just buried a franchise, like, like permanently. They, they have never recovered from the Tannenbaum years of the New York Jets. Oh, no, never the recovered. Jets. They're, they're worse today than they were, like, uh, even when he was there. Unbelievable. Yeah, and the Dolphins have had buried to them. do everything they can to, to Dolphins, shrug it off. yeah, scrambling. <laughs> they, they had to tank. Losing begets losing, my friend. It does, you're right. It really does. I agree. Yeah. The, the, the teams, if you're in a position where you have to tank, there, there's just something there's wrong. A I mean, something, <laughs> it's inherently wrong, period. All right? Yeah. Okay, we have to go. Uh, it's great being with you. We'll do it again tomorrow. We'll have uh, Harvey uh, fetching about the Yankees, losing last night to the Red Sox. Uh, and uh, I don't know if they play tonight. I'm going to assume no. Uh, but, uh, you know, good start to the Major League Baseball season. So we'll get into that uh, tomorrow with Harvey. Brett Tester, the agent of the stars, with us on the program. Uh, later on, catch us on Believe Network. Uh, Grant Long going to be our guest, uh, analyzing uh, the upcoming basketball playoffs and the things that happen during the regular season. He's always brilliant. Uh, Grant, of course, longtime member of the Miami Heat, original member, and uh, 15 years in the NBA and now with the Pistons broadcast team. So uh, uh, we'll get uh, the insight there of Grant Long a bit uh, later on in the day on the Believe Network. That's B-L-E-A-V. And I'm sure you'll be posting up uh, John Kajemi's Dateline yes. Dolphins segment there on uh, Five Reasons Sports Network. So we'll see you tomorrow here on Ion Channel. Google the Defoe Show. You want to catch any of the previous programs. Thanks so much, everybody, for uh, not only uh, tuning in, but uh, as we said, going out and embracing our sponsors, in this really case, straight high Leah Park. Thanks so much for being with us, and we'll see you next time as we leave and know that. The time. It's 9.06. Let's go to eat a damn snack. Look what they've done to my soul.